brainstorm Take me away from the norm I've got to tell you something This phenomenon I'd put it in a song And it goes like Whoa Amber is the color of your energy Whoa Shades of gold play naturally Ba-boom, we back. Welcome, welcome to yet another episode of A Star is Born. I'm your host, Chris Arneson. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm sitting in my apartment in snowy Pullman, Washington. Snowing all day today. It's, let's see, it's Tuesday, March 12th, um, 2, 2.02 p.m. in the afternoon. Sitting across the street from Washington State University, my alum, or is it alumni, or whichever one that is. Um, if you haven't listened to this show yet, listen to the first 22 episodes. I would recommend that. Uh, start episode one, Will Ferrell, and go from there. And um, But if you have, you know that I'm an author, and you can find my books on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Noble. <clears throat> they are... Um, Sponge Cake, a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town, and what's in the fridge. Also read my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com, and check out my website, chrisyauthor.com. And follow me on Twitter, chrisyauthor8, and Instagram, chrisarneson8. Thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone, everyone. Uh, we're doing it big, we're doing it live, um, having so much fun, and... Yeah, we're really building the community of starfishes over here. It's a blast. So tell everyone, baby, thank you so much. Um, and also thank you for rate, rating and reviewing it on iTunes. Um, oh, also I want to plug. I've been plugging some random stuff um, in my plug. So this is the animal episode. If you saw in the, you obviously see that in the podcast description there. Uh, animal actors. Wow. It's going to be fun. This is a special episode. Very special episode of Stars Born. Um, but alas, I'd like to plug long walks with your dog. Um, if you got a dog out there, you're listening. Maybe you're listening right now on a walk with your dog. Um, yeah. Used to love walking good old Athena. Um, my, my dog, my black lab, Keyshawn Mix. Uh, Athena, but <clears throat> also want to plug Chuck It, um, which you can use to throw tennis balls and like go find a big park and go play fetch with your dog. It's a really good tool. You can just use it to basically hurl kind of like a slingshot for tennis balls. So it's, it's pretty cool. Works really well. Um, check it out. Yeah. All right. So. Also, you can see this is the Nebraska episode, and if you're wondering, maybe you're wondering why is it the Nebraska? Well, that's because Omaha, Nebraska is home to the Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium, which is, in 2014, TripAdvisor proclaimed it the world's best zoo. Best zoo in the world, so... 
Had to go with um. Had to go with Nebraska. Let's see. Some of the things that um, the old Henry Dorley's got. It's got a Lied Jungle. It has a oh, it has a crocodile, Philippine crocodile. Wow. I like to see that. That'd be cool. Um, they have some monkeys, a taper. Uh, they got a aquarium there. Yep. Sharks. Ooh. Stingray, pufferfish, lionfish. Very cool. I like going to the zoo. It's always. They got foxes, meerkats, hummingbirds, ocelots. Foxes. Kingdom of the night. Oh, that's bats. Bush babies, beavers. Cool. Okay. Gorilla Valley. Bunch of different gorillas. They got Mantled, Gereza, Western Lowland Gorilla, Wolf's Mona, Diana Monkey, Abyssian Ground Hornbill. Okay, cool. Yeah, wow. They get, um, let's see. How many, um, they have had over 25 million visitors in the past 40 years. I'm surprised they don't have more. I bet they have more than that. Sounds like they get more than a million a year, but okay, cool, very cool. Um, let's do before we get into talking about some animal actors. Let's do a regular segment here. Let's talk about the Mariners, good old Mariners. Right now, I'm wearing my Edgar Martinez jersey. Uh, this was a free one that I got at a promotion. I think it was, yeah, I definitely got it. That weekend of Edgar's uh, number retirement for the Mariners a couple years ago. Um, let's see. Yesterday. Dang it. <laughs> the Mariners fell. It's just spring training though, so it doesn't really count for much. Um, they fell to the Kansas City Royals 5-1 to one last night. And then today, their game got canceled. wonder why. They were supposed to play at the White Sox. But canceled, okay. Doesn't rain much down there. Doubt it was rain. Uh, let's do the the NBA updates. NBA updates. Oh, yesterday there was a um. There was a brawl, like a bit of a brawl in the NBA between Serge Ibaka and Marcus Chris. So, basically, Serge Ibaka just he's just like charged Marcus Chris. He started it for sure. And it looks like the NBA suspends Ibaka for three games and Chris for one. I'm kinda Marcus Chris like threw a punch at Serge Ibaka, but it was kind of self-defense because Ibaka just Ibaka's a little bigger and he just shoved him right into the stanchion. So yeah, it wasn't too bad though. Only one game for Marcus Chris, former UW Husky. Um, let's see. Oh, yes, I also want to mention this was something fun. Shaq has a new restaurant, apparently. So I just want to 
Check on that. Shaquille O'Neal opens big comfort food restaurant in Los Angeles. Let's see what. Let's see what it is. Southern Comfort Restaurant. Across from Staples Center. Um, Paul Pierce, Chauncey Billups, Tiffany Haddish, Adam Sandler, Rajon Rondo, and more. We're there at the uh, grand opening March 9th. The restaurant is called Shaquille at LA Live, his first restaurant in Los Angeles. Southern hospitality with modern flair. Cool. Uh, Kobe Burger. The Kobe Burger made of Kobe beef. Um, I wonder if that's a shout out to Kobe Bryant. It's saying, hmm. <laughs> I wonder if Kobe Bryant was there for the grand opening. Just kind of like hanging out in the back. Didn't get invited, but he's just hanging. He's a big food critic, a big foodie. Alrighty. Kobe. Kobe. Um, let's do a Simpsons. Simpsons episode here. Another regular segment every show. We do a Simpsons episode. Um, oh man, I, I'm still thinking about Shaq's restaurant though. Definitely want to go there. That sounds cool. Just see Shaq in the corner, just singing in a booth. Just taking up the whole booth by himself, basically. Oh man, think about how much food he eats. Probably eats like three entrees. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Can't think. Jack is always on TV though. He's always in commercials, so he's always on the on the radar pretty much. Doesn't it's hard for him to hard for him to stay low. Alright. Let's see. Simpsons episode. The Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie Show. Episode 14 of Season 8. Um, February 9th, 1997. So, right in the middle of the uh, golden era of The Simpsons. Um, let's see. And I chose this one because it's the animal episode. And Poochie is a... Um, well, all these are animals. Itchy's a... What, Itchy's a mouse, Scratchy's the cat, and then Poochie's a dog. There you go. Let's see. Poochie would become a minor recurring character in comic book guys. Catchphrase, worst episode ever, is introduced in this episode. With Itchy and Scratchy and Poochie show, the show's 167th episode, The Simpsons surpassed. The Flintstones in the number of episodes produced for a primetime animated series. So, this was kind of a weird episode, though. Uh, Poochie. Poochie, Poochie. Let's see. Uh, Poochie's debut was a dud, and he decides to get rid of the character. Homer learns that Poochie will be killed off and resolves to keep Poochie alive. That's a good little cliffhanger for you guys. If you want to watch The Simpsons, my favorite show of all time growing up, for sure. Um, Love The Simpsons. Oh, this is something fun. Peeved Fat. 
This is from ESPN about the Iditarod. So, peeved pets. Iditarod lead lost as dogs quit. So, um, this is from Anchorage, Alaska. Musher, Musher, Nicholas Pettit lost a huge lead in the Iditarod trail sled dog race on Monday when his dog team refused to keep going after he yelled at one of the animals. A dog named Joey had been fighting with another dog on the team and jumped it and jumped it during a break on the way to the Bering Sea checkpoint of Koyak. I yelled at Joey and everybody heard the yelling and that doesn't happen, Pettit told the Iditarod Insider website. And then they wouldn't go anymore, anywhere, so we camped here. <laughs> wow, one second here. Get some water for my red robin. Red water bottle. That's awesome. That's so funny. Hmm. I wonder if like PETA PETA peeps are against I'm sure they're against the idea rod. As like animal cruelty. Just do they whip the dogs? No, I don't think so. No. It's not like horse racing. Let's see. I did a rod. I kinda I kinda am curious to see if they um criticism. Oh there's a whole section on Wikipedia, criticism from animal rights groups. Um they say Yay Monitor the dog's health. Declined. Da, da, da. Dogs have died. Dogs have died and been injured during the race. Pra- the practice of tethering dogs on chains, which is commonly used by mushers in their kennels at checkpoints and dog drops, is also criticized. Okay. I wonder how many team of 14 dogs for each musher covers the distance in 8 to 15 days or more Iditarod began in 1973 distance of 938 miles from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska Mitch Seavey has the fastest time 2017 8 days, 3 hours, 40 minutes, 13 seconds. Mitch Seavey. Sounds like a relief pitcher for the Phillies in the 1980s. Mitch Seavey. Okay. Okay. Let's see. I I want to do the... um. I haven't done this yet. Um, miracle speech. Yep. Yeah. I haven't had a chance. I also, I read you guys the uh, Al Pacino, Any Given Sunday speech. And I also read you Denzel's speech from Remember Titans, the Gettysburg one. So um, here is Kurt Russell's speech from Miracle. Here we go. <clears throat> this is um the hockey movie based on the... 1980 United States hockey team 
that uh, beat the Soviet Union and then went on to beat Finland, win the gold medal. All right, here we go. And this is the speech be, um, that Kurt Russell or uh, Herb Brooks is who he plays, um, U.S. coach. This is a speech he gives before the game against the Soviet Union. Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine. But not this game. Not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players. Every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. It's over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. Screw them. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. And scene. Boom. I just got goosebumps. I love that. That's one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. One of my f definitely one of my favorite speeches. Just any speech in general. What a great what a great pregame speech. Wow. Awesome. Alright. Um let's see. Before we get into the animals, let's do a couple more regular segments. That was fun. I got goosebumps right now. Got goosebumps over here, man. I got goosebumps. Got goosebumps, bro. Okay, here we go. Um, let's do the pin of the week. The pin of the episode. Uh, most of these I collected in my baseball playing days. Uh, of your. This one says Redmond North. And it's a picture of like. It kind of looks like an old timey bicycle. Like with a huge front wheel or something. You know those old timey bicycles? And then it has a picture of. I guess it's a person. But they don't have a face or anything. Or a head. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. It's a, like a headless person. A headless shortstop. Ooh, that sounds like a good. A good uh, horror book. The story of the headless shortstop. Alright, very good. And this one also doesn't have a uh, cover on the back, so it's pretty much a useless pin. You can't pin it on anything because the back is all pointy. All right. It's a cool one, though. It's red and blue and some uh, some gold in there. It says Redmond North on the uh, bottom and then kind of north on curls up on the right side. I like the old-time bicycle, though. I would, I would enjoy riding an old-time bicycle. All right, let's do another regular segment here. This is the Maywood recipe book, Cooking the Fast Way. I've been reading a recipe or two from here each episode, so here we go. This one is from Ray Ann Crawford, a fast member, and it is apple cake. Um. Here we are, the ingredients. 
one cup of um, one cup plus one tablespoon of flour, one cup sugar, one teaspoon of baking soda, one teaspoon of baking powder, one teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of cinnamon, one beaten egg, quarter cup of oil, two cups of chopped apples. Optional ingredients. Half cup of chopped nuts, half cup of raisins, substitute half cup of whole wheat flour for flour and recipe, substitute quarter cup hazelnut meal. And your directions? Mix dry ingredients first and then add eggs, oil, and apples. Bake at 350 degrees for 45, about 45 minutes. Enjoy. Very easy. Easy peasy. Sounds delicious too. Apple cake? Mmm. I've never really heard of apple cake. I've heard of apple pie. Apple cake though? I like it. It's a subvert. It subverts the genre of cake and pie. <laughs> Flips it on his head. You never want to flip a pie on its head. That's never good. Or a cake. Kind of ruins it. Ruins the cake. The pastry. Okay. Apple cake, though, sounds very good. Cherry-topped New York-style cheesecake. From Wendy Hostler. Fast member. I think that sounds like Wendy Hostler is... um. The mom of one of my teammates, my one of my uh, low league teams, when I was like in sixth grade, on the Indians, we won the uh, regular season title, not the playoffs. We didn't win the playoffs championship, but we had the best uh, record in the regular season. So I think we were like eighteen four or something. It's worth something, right? But Nick Nick Hostler was on my team. He was like a year or two below, younger than me, but he was on my team. And I'm guessing this is probably his mom because Hostler is not a super common last name. So here we go. This sounds good too. I love cheesecake. Your ingredients. One cup of graham cracker crumbs. One cup plus three tablespoons of granulated sugar. Three tablespoons of butter melted, five eight ounce packages of cream cheese, three tablespoons of flour, one tablespoon of vanilla, three eggs, one cup of sour cream, and cherry pie filling. And your directions Mix graham cracker crumbs, three tablespoons of sugar and butter, press onto the bottom of a nine inch spring form pan, bake at 350 degrees for 10 minutes. Let cool completely. Beat cream cheese, one cup of sugar, flour, and vanilla with with an electric mixer on medium speed until well blended. Add eggs one at a time, mixing on low until well blended. Blend in sour cream. Pour over cool crust. Cooled crust. Um, excuse me. Bake, bake. Cheesecake at 350 degrees for one hour or until center is almost set. Run knife around the rim of the pan to loosen the cake. Cool before removing rim of pan. 
Refrigerate four hours or overnight. Top with cherries or other fruit. And then, I, this is a joke. This must be a joke. It's got to be a joke. Uh, one million calories per serving. Per serving. One million. Uh, that's funny. Um, let's do one more short one here. We just got an anonymous entry for chocolate chip cookies. A classic classic dessert here anonymous just some angel dropped in this recipe um your ingredients here one cup of brown sugar one cup of sugar one cup of butter no substitution two eggs half teaspoon of salt one teaspoon of baking powder half teaspoon of baking soda one teaspoon of vanilla Two cups of flour, one large bag of chocolate chips, one and a half cups of oatmeal. And directions, cream, sugar, and butter, add eggs and beat well, add salt, baking powder, baking soda, and vanilla, mix well, stir in flour and oatmeal, add chocolate chips, refrigerate overnight, mold dough into golf ball sized balls. Or, or hail, hail size golf ball size balls. <laughs> that's my that's my way to interpret it. Um, place on cookie sheet two inches apart. Press slightly. Bake six to eight minutes at four hundred degrees. Let cool before storing or serving. There you go. Let me check this one off so I know that I did it. Easy peasy wheezy teasy. I like it. I love those recipes. I need to start cooking. I need to become a a modern chef. That sounds like a good show. Modern chef. Um, okay, this is the Road Trip America book by Andrew F. Wood. This is going to be a new regular segment. Since each episode we do a different state. And this book dedicates two pages to each state in the United States, so it's perfect. Works out perfectly. This one's Nebraska. Here we go. Let's start with a did you know fact. Did you know? Omaha's lie jungle. Oh, they're talking about the Henry Dorley Zoo. <clears throat> Omaha's lie jungle. Lead. Pronounced lead. Lead jungle contains the largest indoor tropical rainforest in the world. Recreating climates from Asia, Africa, and South America, the 1.5-acre site allows visitors to glimpse waterfalls and exotic plant life. Visitors may also walk along an elevated pathway for a breathtaking treetop view of leopards, monkeys, and birds. Lead. The lead jungle. Cool. Here we go. Nebraska. Um, Nebraska was once known as a great American desert. Birthplace of Arbor Day, the Reuben Sandwich, the 9-11 Emergency System, and Kool-Aid, the Cornhusker State also serves as the home of Boys Town, now called Girls in Boys Town. At the Girls in Boys Town Hall of Fame, just west of Omaha, you'll learn about the beloved site where Father Flanagan, Father Flanagan, cared for disadvantaged children opening his home to a handful of boys in 1917 
Flanagan launched a crusade based on the belief that there are no bad boys, just bad circumstances. Boys Town became internationally known after Spencer Tracy won an Oscar for his portrayal of Flanagan in the 1938 film depiction of Boys Town. Today you can visit a community that has grown considerably since its original handful of residents. And you can see the Academy Award garnered by an actor who played a saint. Departing Omaha on Interstate 80, you'll surely want to drop by Lincoln to tour the state capitol, study the statues of famous Cornhuskers, or perhaps visit a proper historical museum. Or maybe you'd rather see how folks could build a national museum of roller skating. What? I love roller skating. That's something I need to get back into. I haven't roller skated for a deck, probably a solid decade. Gotta get back on that. Gotta strap them up again. Hung them up too long ago. Hung them up too too soon, man. Too soon to hang up those roller skates. Or I guess his roller blades is what I'm talking about. But I like roller skating too. I think there's definitely a difference. Um, maybe not though. Um, National Museum of Roller Skating. Awesome. The museum will take you back to a time when gliding in circles around a stuffy rink while listening to an organ music or maybe tunes from the jukebox offered the best way to spend a Saturday. That does sound pretty awesome. Uh, my grandparents, my, my grand, my mom's parents, um, my grandparents met at a roller rink. That's what my grandpa told me. He told me that when we were at the uh, Great Falls Historical Museum. <clears throat> the museum, the history of Great Falls. Pretty cool museum. Um, I was like, wow, it's a classic way to meet. What is that? Like a, it's like a Nicholas Sparks movie right there. Um, the museum celebrates those memories with an impressive collection of memorabilia, including a set of skates from 1819. Artifacts from the first transcontinental roller derby and exhibits exploring the rise, fall, and rebirth of inline skates. I want to know more about the first transcontinental roller derby. What? That sounds like a quite the quite the day. Uh, let's see. Back on the road, head west toward Elk Creek. As you head for, that reminds me of Lorraine Neesom in the Mooses. The Moose's Creek. Um, as you head for the horizon, consider how Nebraskans share a particular appreciation of the automobile. State workers rush to complete the interstate highway that weaves into that weaves its lower third, completing their state allotment of the system before any other. Of course, the Cornhusker auto appreciation pays special attention to a particular model. Nebraska celebrates a classic Chevy with a museum dedicated to the vehicle that provides uh, millions of 1950s teenagers a chance to enjoy more than the cheesy movies showing at the drive-in. Located in Elm Creek on I-80, Chevy Land, USA, features over 110 restored and original Chevys built between 1914 and 1975. However, the most unique commemoration of the car may, may be found in northwest Nebraska, near the town Alliance. The best way to imagine this pavement pilgrimage 
sight is to imagine how it can, came to be. Imagine that you're having a family reunion, commem- commemorating the passing of your father. You're struggling to find the appropriate mo- monument to celebrate a life well lived. Naturally, you decide to build a Stonehenge out of cars. Well, that's what Jim Rain- Reindeers and his family did. Their Carhenge monument stands near Alliance as a testimony to a peculiar vision of family, memory, and cars. As usual, locals hated the monument at first. Classify it as a junkyard, they said. But the tourists came by tens of thousands, bringing their cameras and wallets. And now Alliance proudly proclaims itself the home of Carhenge. Carhenge. I'm going to look that up right now. And then um, there's a picture here of, it looks like, the interior view of Greyhound Union Bus Depot. Just a big, big brown wall, basically, with uh, some stairs and pretty boring picture there. Uh, park, ho- park Motel, steam heated. Um, and then Nebraska's Main Street of America. Shortest and most direct route between New York and San Francisco. We're on our way. 3,331 miles coast to coast. Okay. Wow. That's funny. (laughs) That's cool. And it's a picture of like a family driving a convertible. A red convertible. We're on our way. Coast to coast. Alright. I'm going to look at Carhenge. Um, That was... That's a road trip America. Use my Chris Author bumper sticker there. Pick it up on chrisauthor.com. I gotta see what Carhenge looks like. Before, before we move on, Carhenge. I'll let you guys know if it looks like a Stonehenge. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much just looks like Stonehenge, but if it was a uh, Cars. Just picture that. There you go. Uh, one more sip of water. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, not super... Nothing too crazy there. <laughs> um, well, this, let's read about Cat... Guys Can Be Cat Lays Too by Michael Showalter. Since it's an uh, animal episode, I figured we should read a little bit of this book. We've read it before. Okay, here we go. Chapter 23. Are you spending too much time with your cat? Sounds like a crazy question, doesn't it? But take a step back and consider the following. Are you neglecting your family? When was the last time you spoke to your parents on the phone? Did you end the conversation by saying, you guys are boring. I'm going to hang with my cat. Open your visual memory bank. Are you having trouble remembering your brother's face? Wait, do you even have a brother? You may be neglecting your family. Are you neglecting your job? Did you skip the company picnic for a photo shoot with your cat? Does the auto-reply message on your email read, I can't respond to your message right now because I'm home playing with my cat? Do you Skype with your cat while you're at work? Do you badger your employees to follow your cat on Twitter? How many unanswered emails do you have? And dating back how far? Open up your visual memory bank. Are you having trouble placing your boss's face? Do you remember what you do for a living? 
you may be neglecting your job. Fun cat fact. When a cat's owner dies, the cat will wait up to 10 minutes out of loyalty before finding a new human to feed and protect him or her. <laughs> um, yes, there we go. That's just a little bit from Guys Can Be Cat Ladies 2, a guidebook for men and their cats by Michael Showalter, who is one-third of the comedy trio Stella and also co-wrote and starred in the awesome movie Wet Hot American Summer that we talked about uh, more extensively in episode four, Paul Rudd episode. Yeah, um, I love Wet Hot American Summer. That's a classic. Yeah, Michael Showalter is a f- really funny comedic dude. And that's a funny book. I still got to finish it. I bought that book by, for myself at um, third place books. I, I bought it for myself. All by myself for five ninety nine. Picked it up used. That's right, they got used books there too. Um let's see. Oh, this is something we can do. Before we hop into any IMDB pages, let's discuss a new segment on the show. It's the pie graph and Venn diagram. Dadam let's do the pie graph first. So I made one of my favorite cheeses. Here we go. So, 3% sharp cheddar, 9% goat, 18% munster, 20% Dubliner, 15% Gouda, 10% pepper jack, and number one, 25% gorgonzola. I just had a delicious gorgonzola burger at um, Wisconsin Burger in Spokane with my parents. The number one, it's been named the number one burger place in Spokane. So, just opened in 2014. It's pretty delicious. The gorgonzola is good. I like it. I'd even list um, blue, blue cheese here. Just realized that. Sorry, all you... Uh, all, sorry, apologies to the Blue Man Group and uh, Avatar fans. Um, let's see. Let's do the Venn diagram now. So that was a pie graph. I made a Venn diagram of cats versus dogs. So here we are. Um, cats uh, or dogs play fetch. Cats play with a hamster ball. Um, dogs wear a collar, cats take a collar off, dogs greet their owner, and cats use the door as a scratching post. Um, dogs are codependent lovers, and cats are independent silent assassins, and Cats are gymnasts, while dogs are rugby players. And as for what they have in common, the interlapping, interloping part of the circle, we have, they're both beloved pets. Um, Cats and dogs both wear ugly Christmas sweaters, and they both um, star in the 
hit cartoon show Cat Dog. They're both a big part of that show. That was a cartoon I was on when I was growing up, but I didn't have a cable. I didn't have cable growing up, so not till like seventh grade, maybe eighth, somewhere around there. But yeah, so I had to watch Cat Dog at friends' houses and stuff. But it was pretty good. It was a funny show. Um, speaking of cats and dogs, I also want to mention Athena. Just talked about it earlier. My old dog that she sadly passed away um, last August. But I just want to mention her bumblebee costume that she wore for Halloween. Probably a few years. And how how funny how funny a dog can look in a in the right costume, you know? Like she looked good in a bumblebee costume because she was a black dog, so she it, she went well like the black blended into her fur and then it just looked like there was yellow. I don't know. From a from a dog fashion perspective, you know? Top notch. Um let's see. Uh, I also want to mention a funny little um, anecdote memory here from my time. One of the times I visited uh, Great Falls, Montana, my uh, grandma and grandpa's house. This time I was with my mom and sister. And this must have been like a few years ago. It was definitely in January because I remember we actually flew out there and we usually... We pretty much always drive, so it was unusual that we flew there, but because I, I also remember, for some reason, I drank a beer. I, I just got a beer while we were waiting at the airport. I think it was just in SeaTac. Uh, we must have been waiting for a long time, and I was just sitting at the the bar in the airport, like some like 40-year-old like traveling businessman or something <laughs> just drinking a drinking IPA watching an NBA game reading a newspaper just kicking it waiting for my flight got a suitcase next to me but yeah that was a funny memory um but yes we flew there that time and it was super snowy in Great Falls like no surprise it's in Montana so they have pretty brutal winters but there's a ton of snow there at this time. Probably definitely over a foot. And I remember one of the mornings, my mom and sister and me were going to walk to Starbucks, probably like 7 a.m. And I just, we all went outside, we were all bundled up. And I just step outside. And there's this like ledge that's about maybe three and a half feet um, on my grandparents' porch. And I just leapt off that three and a half foot ledge right into the like foot and a half of snow and just did a huge snow belly flop. And it was like, <laughs> and my mom, my mom was like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> we had, I just got like all bundled up. And it was like the best snow belly flop I've ever done. It was the best uh, belly flop I've done just in general. But, um, man, it was a good one in the snow. And I think I went back inside and changed 
jackets after that one. Because my mom was like, why, why, did, why would you do that? And I was like, I don't know. I just, you ever just do something crazy? <laughs> just off the cuff like that? Just, I was just feeling it in the moment, you know? Didn't hurt anyone. Just made me change my, sweat, my uh, sweatshirt jacket combo. Just get a new scarf. One that's not soaked, but that was super fun, though. So fun that that must have been, that was probably like four years ago or something. I don't know. It was a while ago, so good memory. Um, Funny, funny. And then we just went and walked to Starbucks. Um, Always walking to Starbucks, that Northwest. And then I got that Seattle but coffee bug. Uh, something else I want to mention here, since this is the animal episode, I would like to say, answer the question that has plagued, <laughs> this has plagued animals and humans forever, just since since the animal planet was created, whatever year that was, whatever decade that may be, whatever century, um, yes, the animal planet, what would my animal planet show be if I had one let's see excuse me I think I would be it would, it would definitely be like something with crocodiles because crocodiles fascinate me but um I'm obviously scared of them so I'd be with an expert a couple experts obviously like I would be going um Probably just like in Florida in the Everglades and stuff and in key in the Keys. Just going with a, a couple experts, a crocodile hunter person, and then like a boat a boat driver and um a boat driver, a pilot, a pilot, a, ca- a captain, a ship captain, a, b- a boat pilot. Um Yeah, I would like to do that. And I would call, and I would wear Crocs. That would be the twist on it, while um hunting for Crocs, or not hunting them, but just like looking to observe them. I would also want to observe whales, so that would be part of it too. We could do crocodiles, and whales and sharks, a trifecta. But um, especially when we're doing the crocodiles, I I would uh definitely wear Crocs, like a different colored pair of Crocs each episode. Um, and maybe they'll sponsor a show. And we could call it, um, Crocodiled, Crocodiled Down, or Crocodiled Up. No, I like Crocod, Crocodiled Down a Notch. <laughs> That's a good, a good one. There we go. We did it, guys. That sounds like a fun show, actually. We search for sharks, too, and then go whale watching. Maybe like even like go for some hidden treasures, uh, like the Atlantis. Oh, I'm gonna search that right now, cause that's something that's really interesting to me. Like Bermuda Triangle and um, Atlantis are two things. Like I don't know, are those related? Those two things. Atlantis is fictional. What? <laughs> okay, Atlantis is fictional. Oh my goodness, I'm so silly. I'm so I'm so gullible over here. I must have learned that at some point and then just forgotten it. 
I was definitely thinking Atlantis was real. It's a fictional island mentioned within allegory on the hubris of nations in Plato's works, Timaeus and Critias, where it represents the antagonist naval power that besieges ancient Athens. Okay, okay. What about Bermuda Triangle, though? What's the deal with that one? Or what about uh, Easter Island? I've heard about You guys ever hear about that one? I'm sure you have, but Bermuda Triangle, let's see. Um, also known as Devil's Triangle or Hurricane Alley. That's what people call Kirstie Alley after she's had too many hurricanes. They call her Hurricane Alley. Brimshot, dad jokes, in the hizay, baby, <laughs> Hurricane Alley. Um, loosely defined in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean where a number of aircraft and ships are said to have disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Uh, Let's see notable incidences. Ellen Austin, 1881. USS Cyclops. The single largest loss of life in the history of the U.S. Navy. Not related to combat. Um... A crew of 309 people went missing without a trace. Dang. That was uh, 1918, sometime after March 4th, 1918. Carol A. Deering was uh, another one from uh, 1921. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> That's not cool, but... Dang, Bermuda Triangle. That's that was that needs to be a movie. There's come on, um Ron Howard or uh Steven Spielberg, one of you guys. Maybe uh James Cameron. Someone make a movie about Bermuda Triangle. Actually I'm sure someone has. Let's see, Bermuda Triangle movie. I bet there is one. Movies? What? There's a movie called The Bermuda Triangle in 1978. Well, I've never heard of There hasn't been one since 1978. Lost Voyage was one from 2001. Stars uh, Judd Nelson. And then there's one from 2001 called The Triangle. Okay. Stars, oh, Luke Perry. Rest in peace. In Olivia de Abo. Okay, so I guess there's a couple. I'm saying someone make a good movie, like a popular movie with like Will Smith or something or Mark Wahlberg or Matt Damon. Someone, someone beg. All right, let's see. I could see, I could see like Jessica Chastain being in that movie too. She seems like she'd be... I don't know why. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let's see. Amy Adams, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. All right. Um, they seem like they could be part of a crew. Let's take a peek at the uh, adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easiest Steps by Kelly Williams Brown. 
This is another book we've been peeking at occasionally. Let's just peek at it a little more here. Let's read about the section dating. Yay, you like them and they like you. And now it's time to date. Step 347. Try to go on at least a couple of actual dates. Here are things that are not dates. Meeting up at a party. Going to someone's house to watch movies. Getting stoned and watching Arrested Development. All those things are fun, but they are also not, technically speaking, dates. Now that you are grown up, your goal is to get to know each other. And hopefully, you don't need too many substances to enable that interaction. Though a drink or two is permissible. Things that are dates. Meeting for coffee one-on-one and then chatting happily for a few hours. Strolling around a park, making entertaining observations about other people you see. Going out to dinner, then sitting at a table for two and trying to impress each other by ordering the jellyfish. Step, Step 348. Don't get drunk on the first date. Limit yourself to a few drinks. A drink even. If you're too drunk to take a breathalyzer, you're too drunk for a first date. No matter how much you love the booze, just take it easy for a couple of dates. This also makes you less likely to have sex on the first date, which is, generally speaking, another bad plan. Step 349. Hold your cards close to your chest, at least at first. The older you get, the more backstory there will be with the people you date. They will have been in love before, had their heart broken, gotten an STD, or experienced a serious loss that they still hurt from. And so will you. The trade-off, of course, is that as you get older, you also get better at love. But the first few dates are time to circle each other, sniff cautiously, make sure no one is planning on making a suit out of anyone else's skin, and then commence to process of really getting to know each other. Uh, No need to reveal your deepest, darkest bits on the first few dates. Try to establish that you're both reasonable, level-headed people at first. Note, you should really disclose any relevant health, read, STD issues before you have sex. That is a decent grown-up thing to do. To do this with accuracy, you need to get tested at least every six months. In return, when and if someone reveals them to you, don't flip out. Lots of people have them, and if you're safe and cautious, they can be a total non-issue. Don't drop this card on the table right before you have sex, either. People are good at processing things, important things. People are not good at processing important things when they're naked. Um, let's read step 350 and leave it at that. Uh, <clears throat> step 350. Do be yourself on dates. Yes, you should be a good behavior version of yourself, but don't make up a new persona. It's a fine line, but you must, must be yourself. You can't fake being someone else forever. It just won't work. You don't want someone who is into a contorted projection of who you are. You want someone who is into you. So make sure they have a chance to see that. Remember, if you fake it, they will not think, oh my god, an incredibly hot astrophysicist who shares my love of the Seahawks. What are the chances? They will think, there's something off about this person, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. Leave that that. I like how she shouted out to Seahawks there. I wonder if... We'll have to... 
Kelly Williams Brown. I wonder if she's from Seattle. Um, let's see. While we're searching that, I can't wait to talk to you guys about uh, all these animals. We're going to use IMDb. They have a, a top 25 animal actors of all time. So we're going to use that. Um, she's from Louisiana, so... I guess she just randomly picked. She why didn't she say the Saints? Come on, Gab represent, represent. Uh, what, what's the Saints? What's their saying? I'm trying to think. One sec. I'm trying to think of the Saints saying, and all I thought of was "Go Tigers." Saints uh, fan fan slogan. Do they have a fan slogan? Is there an official slogan for each NFL fan base? Who dat? See? I knew there was one. Who dat? Who dat? There we go. Kelly Williams Brown, New York Times bestselling American writer and author, commonly credited for inventing the word adulting. What? She invented a word? She's, she's in the Miriam Dictionary? Not even... Urban Dictionary. She's in Miriam and Webster. I bet adulting is in Urban Dictionary, though. Hmm. Let's see. Adulting has its own Wikipedia. Oh, it's an American comedy drama web series. Created, created by Ben Bauer. She must be in on this one. Kelly Williams Brown must have had to... Give the seal okay. Or is her... I don't know. She must work for it or something, right? Cool. Adulting. What, uh, what a simple but... Simple but brilliant. Um, let's read a little bit of... Since we're doing all this reading... Before we get into the IMDb's... Let's just keep it going. Let's read a little bit of Night Hoops by Carl Duker. Mr. Duker, um, teacher from my elementary school. My older brother, Nick, had him in sixth grade. I never had him, but he's a big-time author and a huge inspiration for me. So that's awesome. And I emailed him, like, last year and told him that I'm an author now, too. Just trying to kind of trying to brag to Mr. Duker, I guess. But I think he said that was cool. And he, I think he also said, I remember having your uh, older brother in my class because um, my mom used to do a lot of PTA for Maywood for the school. So I'm sure he remembers my mom too. All right. But this is Night Hoops. And I've already read the first two chapters in the uh, last two episodes of A Star is Born. So let's read chapter three right now. Here we go. It was a Monday. We'd finished breakfast. Scott was downstairs playing the trumpet while Mom and Dad were getting ready for work. I was sprawled out on the sofa in the front room, half reading the sports page and half looking out the window, when I saw Erica Dawson's new boyfriend cross the street and head toward our house. Mom caught me looking out the window, so she looked too. I wonder what he wants, she said. Dad came from the kitchen, sipping a cup of coffee. Who? Erica's latest is headed this way, Mom answered. I'll talk to him, Dad said. I asked him to come. 
Mom looked confused. You asked him to come? Why? Instead of answering, he opened the front door and stepped onto the porch. Good morning, he called out. Then he motioned with his arm. Right through that gate. The two of them disappeared around the corner to the backyard. I looked to Mom. Her eyes had the intensity that scared me. She turned and went back to the kitchen, yanking the door shut behind her. Scott heard <clears throat> Scott heard the loud bang and came upstairs, trumpet in hand. Something going on? he asked, looking at the closed kitchen door. I'm not sure, but I think Dad is putting in a basketball court in the back. Really? Mom's letting him take out her rose garden? I don't think she wants him to, but he's doing it anyway. Scott shook his head. Oh, man. And I was hoping things would get back to normal around here. He scowled, then went back downstairs. I slipped out the front door and walked around back. When I caught up to Dad, he was standing in the front in front of the circular rose bed. Using both hands, he was holding up a big piece of butcher paper so whatever his name was could see it. Whatever his name was could see it. The dark-eyed man who was wearing a cut-off sweatshirt and jeans asked some questions. After Dad answered, he turned to me. I'm going inside to talk to your mom, and then I'll be off to work. You can help if you want. Just don't get in Mr. Clay's way. He winked. You and Scott are going to be like that. Are going to like this. You're going to like it a lot. Once Dad had disappeared into the house, I turned back to Mr. Clay. In a way, he was like all of Erica Dawson's boyfriends. You could see from the deep lines in his face that he'd smoked too much and drank too much. The skull and crossbones tattoo on his forearm told the same story. But there was something different about him. Something that made me want, made me want to stay. I'm Steve, he said, sticking out his hand. Nick Abbott, I answered, shaking it. I know, Trent has talked about you. I was stunned. Trent talks about me? What's he say? Steve Clay shrugged. He says you're a good... Just then, from inside the house, we heard Mom scream at Dad. I felt myself go red in the face as Dad yelled back at her. Then they were both shouting. Finally, a door was slammed, then another one. There was a short pause before Dad's truck started up. I could hear him rev the engine, slam the transmission in gear, and roar off. A dog barked, breaking the spell that come over both of us. Steve Clay hefted the shovel in his hand. Well, I'd better get to work. Your dad isn't paying me to stand here talking, much as I wish he would. That was a confusing day. I knew how much mom loved her rose garden, how much time she spent in the summer pruning and raking and checking for black spot and aphids, seeing bush after bush uprooted and tossed onto the lawn as if there were so much junk, made me sick to my stomach. But I wanted the bas that basketball court, too. As it slowly came in into existence, I found myself caring less about the Rose Garden or Mom. It took all day for Steve Clay to dig out the bushes and that lawn, and that was with me helping him, holding the tape measure and staking out lines. He was a real perfectionist. If Dad's plans called for 26 feet, he made... He made it 26 feet, not an inch more, and not an inch less. Sometimes I'd measure something and be off by six inches or so. I couldn't see how a couple of inches one way or the other could matter. 
but he'd grimace whenever he discovered an error, and then he'd go back and fix it. After my third or fourth mistake, he leaned against his shovel. If you'd go slower, we'd get finished faster. After we had the bushes out and the outline of the court complete, Steve Clay spent another half hour yanking out stray bits of sod and pulling up roots he'd missed. Well, that does it for me today, he said. After he left, I moved around <coughs> excuse me. I moved around on that patch of bare dirt pertaining to dribble and shoot an imaginary basketball on an imaginary hoop. What are you doing, Nick? Scott called down to me from his upstairs window. Nothing, I said, humiliated at being caught acting like a little kid. I motioned to the dirt. Isn't this going to be great? Sure, but I wouldn't want to be dad tonight. For dinner, we had Thai food delivered. Mom picked at her meal and didn't speak at all until the dinner was about over. Then she looked at Scott and me. Are you happy about the basketball court? I nodded, so does Scott. Good, she said, forcing herself to smile. That's something. Dad tried to take her hand. Caroline, there's still room for a little garden over by the camellias. I'll buy you new roses, put down some compost and peat moss, and you can start fresh. She pulled away from his touch. I don't want new roses. I don't want to start fresh. So please, Matthew, don't do anything more. You've done quite enough. Thank you. Dad leaned back in his chair. I could hear him breathing slow and deep like some dangerous animal. The next morning, an old guy showed up, a cigarette dangling from his lip, a two-day stubble on his face. He was a retired contractor, and with Dad and Steve Clay's help, he was going to finish the job. It was strange watching three of them work together. I'm used to Dad being in charge, knowing what to do, giving directions. But this old guy, with this old guy, he was just a helper. Even Steve Clay knew more than Dad did. The three of them rolled the earth smooth, laid down the sand and dirt, rolled it again, measured it again, built wood frames for, for the concrete, hammered some more, rolled some more. By the end of the day, the scar of earth had been, that had been our yard was as smooth as the infield on a baseball diamond. The cement mixer will be here tomorrow morning, around nine, the old guy said. Then he turned to me. In a few days, you're going to be the proud owner of the best basketball court in Bothell. Boom. Best basketball court in Bothell. That's another chapter right there. Yep. I like it. I think I was a proud owner. I think my house, the Arnesons, had the best basketball court in Bothell. Our uh, classic driveway. The, the old basketball hoop in the driveway set up. You can't beat that. Can't beat that. That was the best. We had the best basketball court in Bothell. Sorry, Nick and Scott. That's weird though, cause the that's my um brother and dad's name, and they're two of the main names of two of the main characters in Night Hoops, and also they use my hometown Bothell. Weird, but it makes sense, cause. Carl Duker was living in Bothell, so he just, he uses what he knows, I guess. Makes sense. Ooh. Just realized I had forgot to wear my Pasco 6th um, place 4x400 mirror relay 2011 Pasco invite medal. 
in my uh, stretchy, meshy, starry night, mountain, um, running ball cap from Oisel. Yes, I was for- forgetting to wear those. Wear those every episode. Come on now. And uh, my socks. I always let you guys know which socks I'm wearing, so should, might as well do that now. They're the, uh, they're the, like, thermal hiking socks. Like the nice, I think they're cotton or something. But they're real, real nice. Good socks. Top of the level. Um, let's do it. Let's hop into the IMDb's. In the animals. The first one is Bart the Bear. Bart the Bear. He's earned more than $6 million. Okay. Lived from uh, January 10th, 1977 to May 10th, 2000. Bart the Bear is perhaps one of Hollywood's most remarkable animal stars. The Alaskan brown bear born 1977... Brought in by Utah animal trainer Doug Seuss. Or if that's Dr. Seuss. He's also a bear trainer <laughs> on the side. <laughs> that's how he got started. Um, Bart started to train. He grew to nine feet tall, which is the average for brown bears. All right, let's see what he's been in. Let's see what you've done. 20 credits. Wow. That's impressive. So 1980, Windwalker. He was the bear. Guess we don't have to say he's gonna be the bear in all. Uh, <laughs> he just plays like Steve. Um, TV movie, 1983. Kenny Rogers as the gambler. The adventure continues. TV movie from 1983. The bear uncredited. I want to see what Windwalker was. Let's see what Windwalker. 1797? What? Wow. Uh, Utah, an aged uh, Cheyenne patriarch, helps his kin to fight off a raiding party of rival crow warriors, and he tells his grandchildren the story of their family. And there's a bear. Um, the Clan of the Cave Bear. He plays the bear uncredited in 1986. TV movie from 1986, Luis Lemore, Down the Long Hills, The Bear. Benji the Hunted plays The Bear, 1987. The Great Outdoors, The Bald-Headed Bear. There's a little twist. He's bald-headed. 1988. This was a uh, classic John Candy movie. I don't, I can't remember. I think I've seen part of it, like on AMC. Parts of it, but I don't know if I've seen the whole thing. It's a 91 Myth. Comedy, Red PG. A Chicago man. Chicago. Chicago. Man's hope for a peaceful family vacation in the woods is shattered when the annoying in laws drop in. Or if his in laws are bears. Hmm. <laughs> uh, 1988, there's a movie called The Bear. He plays the Kodiak Bear. Why doesn't he, he doesn't get the title role in that movie? <laughs> he doesn't play the bear. Um, he's in the 1990 TV series, The Young Riders. 
one episode, 1990. Um, 1990 TV movie, Lost in the Barrens, plays the bear. White Fang, 1991, plays the bear. Yep, that's a Jack London book about the friendship developed between a Yukon gold hunter and the mixed dog wolf he rescues from the hands of a man who mistreats him. I wonder if it was the, the Iditarod race rider, <laughs> the musher. Th- this guy, the Yukon gold hunter, saved the the, the dog from from that mean the mean Iditarod musher that we talked about earlier. Yes, yes. Let's get out of that. <laughs> Comes full circle here. Oh, it's not it's not uh, snowing as hard. I mean, it's it's snowed today. I'm looking outside right now, out the window. Um, but it hasn't stuck at all on the ground, so it's like almost forty degrees actually. It's actually pretty warm today. Let's let's say let's say nineteen ninety one, the giant of Thunder Mountain plays the bear. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, nineteen ninety three plays Bear Uncredited. On Deadly Ground, 1994, The Bear. Um, Legends of the Fall, 1994, The Bear. This one sounds really familiar. Who's in this? Oh, Brad Pitt. Okay. I've heard this in, like, some rap song. Def- definitely been referenced. Um, 130 mi- 133 minutes. That's a long one. Rated R. Drama, romance, war. In the early 1900s, three brothers and their father, living in the remote wilderness of Montana, are affected by betrayal, history, love, nature, and war. Wow, that has a lot of themes right there. A lot, it sounds like there's a lot going on there. Um, wow, Brad Pitt is also in A River Runs Through It. Another Montana movie. He's in the Montana movies. Let's see, Walking Thunder. 1995, let's see what this one is. Excuse me. In the 1850s, a young boy and his family on their way west become stranded in the Rockies with the help of a local mountain man, a Sioux medicine man, and a legendary bear. The bear helps them. Wow. Known All the bears known as Walking Thunder. Wow, what a name. It sounds like the name of Russell Westbrook good nickname for him because he's on the thunder who's the zombie sonics come on nba bring back a come on nba come on uh adam silver bring a bring a franchise back to the pacific northwest back to seattle why don't chat all right <laughs> just a little a little offer in case anyone's listening any execs high ups over there in the uh organization in the uh, in the league the association all right um the boy learns to become a man and his family's survival is secured brian keith narrates the western adventure which won a silver award at the world fest film festival that's repetitive world fest film festival wow okay very good very good 1995, 12 Monkeys. I think this is another 
Brad Pitt movie, if I'm not. Maybe not. Um, 12 Monkeys. In the future world, devastated by disease, a convict is sent back in time to gather information about the man-made virus that wiped out most of the human population on the planet. 129 Minutes Mystery Sci-Fi Thriller Rated R. R. That sounds... That sounds like a more modern movie than 1995. Sounds like they were ahead of their time. Huh? 1996. Homeward Bound 2. Lost in San Francisco. San Francisco. He plays Bear as Bart. Les Amants de Riviere Rouge. A TV miniseries from 1996. Plays the Bear Attacking children and fighting with Ari Schwag. Oh man, that's terrible. Uh, 1997. That's too bad for Ari Schwag. Ari Schwag. And the children who he's attacking. 1997. The Edge plays the bear. Let's see what this one is. Anthony Hopkins, is it? Yep, Anthony Hopkins. For, uh, good old Han- Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Never seen that movie either. Science of the Lambs. Also Alec Baldwin in this one. Um, The Edge. An intellectual billionaire and two lesser men struggle, <clears throat> struggle to band together and survive after getting stranded in the Alaskan wilderness with a bloodthirsty Kodiak bear hunting them down. Ooh, so he's a big part of this one. And the final... Final credit for Bart the Bear, 20 off 20. Meet the Deedles from 1998. Comedy Family. Famcom, 9-3 Miss, PG. Two surfers end up at Yellowstone Park, or as Yellowstone Park Rangers, and have to stop a former ranger who's out for revenge. Paul Walker in this. The uh, Fast and the Furious fame and Steve Van Wormer also in it. Okay. Never heard of this one. Meet the Deedles. Okay. Um, that's Bart the Bear for you. Very good. Let's do t- let's do just for fun. Just for complete funsies. I'm gonna do a top three and bottom three for just for Bart the Bear. Um so the great outdoors will be top three, and let's make meet the Deedles top three. <laughs> that sounds fun. And then walking, we'll do Walking Thunder. No, not Walking Thunder. Let's do Legends of Fall, the Brad Pitt one. That sounds cool. Uh, so Legends of the Fall, meet the Deedles, and um, the great outdoors top three. And then bottom three, let's do Benji the Hunted, um, White Fang, and On Deadly Ground. First, those three, bottom three. All right, very good. So let's get out Bart the Bear, and let's pull up, um, let's go dog, let's go the dog. Oh, here's a good dog. Y'all know this one, Buddy. Buddy, from, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where he's from, 
If you don't already know. Aw, so sad. This dog only lived to be 10. Dang. That's too bad. Buddy. Um, Let's see what he's been in. I think he only has a few credits. Oh, yeah, he only has two credits. Full House, TV show, 1995. Of course, uh, plays Comet, one episode. Um, and then Air Bud. That's one. Air Bud's a great movie. Um, 1997. Buddy slash Air Bud. Let's click on this. Who is in Air Bud? Anyone? I don't think there's anyone I know in that movie. Actors wise. Um, 98 Minutes PG. A young boy and a talented stray dog with amazing basketball playing ability become instant friends. Rebounding from his father's accidental death, 12-year-old Josh Fram moves with his family to a small town of Fernfield, Washington. Hey, it's a Washington movie. Nice. But that's definitely a fictional town, I think. Um, the new kid in town, Josh has no friends and is too shy to try out for the basketball team. Instead, he prefers to practice alone on an abandoned court. He befriends a runaway golden retriever named Buddy. Josh is amazed when he realizes that Buddy loves basketball, that is playing basketball, and he's good. Josh eventually makes the basketball team, and Buddy is named the team mascot. Josh and Buddy become stars of halftime. I don't know what that means. Stars of halftime. Uh, Buddy's halftime talent draws media attention. Yeah, but what does Josh do? All right. I'm sure they do some sort of, like, jumping through hula hoops routine. <laughs> Maybe, like, they're on fire or something. I can't remember. Maybe he rides a moped off a jump. Um, Unfortunately, when Buddy's mean former owner, Norm Snively. That's a per- mean person name. Norm Snively comes along with a scheme to cash in on the pup's celebrity. It looks like they're going to be separated. The end. Okay. I haven't seen that movie for like maybe 20 years, honestly. <laughs> came out in 1997, so it's been 22 years since it even came out. It's a classic, though. I remember it being one of my favorites back in the day. Let's see. Who else we got here? We got... Let's go with another dog. Let's go with Sadie. Sadie lived lived to be fourteen. She was born in California, two thousand October two thousand one, as Sedona Luella Trimble. She was an actress. Yes, we'll talk about her film credits. Here we go. Fourteen credits. As an actress, 2005, Undiscovered, Luke's Runyon Canyon Dog. Actually, before we... Oh, no. I was going to do a... We seriously can't do... Let's do a top one and bottom one for uh, Buddy. So I guess for Buddy, top one, we'll put Air Bud. And then bottom one, let's put Full House. (laughs) Sorry, Full House fans. Sorry, Full Housers. Um, so Sadie, 2005, Undiscovered, Luke's Running Canyon Dog. 
That sounds like a, a breed, a Runyon Canyon dog. It's got like, I feel like it'd be like a hipster dog. It wears um, Birkenstocks and a Mexican poncho and Airbuds. Hey, Airbuds. Didn't even mean to say that. It all comes around. That's what those are called, right? The the new Apple headphones, wireless headphones, earbuds. <laughs> oh my gosh! I wonder if they had to pay Airbud to get those copyrights. Two thousand six. The the running canyon dog would definitely drink kale smoothies for breakfast too. Two thousand six Alpha Dog. Dale Durker's dog, uncredited. 2007 TV movie, Mystery Woman, In the Shadows, East German Soldier Dog, uncredited. Also 2007, Man in the Chair, Animal Shelter Dog. Get a sip of Wawa. Sorry. That was good. Okay. Very refreshed now. <clears throat> 2007. Rise Blind Blood Hunter. Barking Stray Dog. Uncredited. Seems like most stray dogs are barking. Like They're like, someone come, come rescue me. Come feed me. Take me for a walk. So I don't have to walk myself anymore. Barking Stray Dog. Did I mention that I'm gonna look for um I'm gonna Google Google this Google Google um town bands whoops whoops <laughs> town bands uh dog barking This was like a thing there it is New Jersey town seeks law a French mayor has issued a barking ban in the village, prompting a furious response from animal freedom activists. Furious. What's this French town? Let's see where. But there's also a New Jersey town that's seeking a law. Um, Saddle River, New Jersey. So they're following suit of the French. E. These these dogs, these, these dogs they barked so loud. <laughs> Can cannot eat my croissants. Uh-huh. Um, very good. As you can see, I'm uh, auditioning for SNL with my voices here pretty soon. I like how there's both a French town that's already done it, and then a New Jersey town that's trying to do it. Like, could you get? Those are two pretty different places. How come it's... Come on, New Jersey. You gotta be able to pass that. France did it. You guys can do it too. Uh, let's see. Two, where were we? We were in the Barking Stray Dog. So 2007 TV movie. Crash and Burn. Guard Dog. Uncredited. Now we know what uncredited means. We don't have to get angry about it anymore. We don't have to be frustrated. I used to be upset. But now... After we looked it up, that one episode, we figured it out, solved the puzzle. Um, 
Yeah, it means their name does not appear in the beginning or end credits on the movie, on the big screen. But it still appears here in their IMDb credits. Used to not make sense, but now it does. Uh, TV movie, 2007, The Kidnapping. Uh, plays Tiger, uncredited. Now, it seems like a good time. <laughs> this is a good segue. Uh, it just popped right into my head. I didn't even write it down for some reason. But we gotta do it, because we do it every episode. But before we do that, I'll do the Calypso update. Um, something that I actually forgot to do last episode. Forgot to do a regular segment. Oh my gosh, come on. Chris, what are you doing? Uh, the Calypso update. David Sedaris' book from 2018 is like book of essays um i'm on page 250 of 258 i have not read any of it so that's the clips update for both episode 22 and episode 23 um so we got those eight pages left still i kind of like just saving the very end of the book it's kind of like saving a like a little piece of candy in my pocket just for later, you know? I'll finish it. It'll be a treat. It'll be a treat when I do, though. <laughs> um, but yes, let's let's discuss that thing that I want to talk about, that I talk about every episode. And if you're, if you're a listener, if you're a, a starfish, a stars-born loyal listener, part of the hardcore starfish fan club, um, you guys should start a... Oh yeah, check out the new Facebook page, A Star is Born on Facebook, um, A Star is Born Podcast on Facebook. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about the AMC Triple Feature, baby. Yes, we do it every episode, so let's do it right now. There's no better time than to do it right now. The year was 2009, and it was June. It was summertime, baby. School had just gone out, and I was with my best bud growing up, Stephen Ungrecht. And we ventured on over. I don't remember how we got there. We probably got a ride, though. Because it's at least a few miles from Bothell to to AMC Woodenville Movie Theater. So we probably got a ride from his his parents or mine, I would say. Unless we, like, insanely, like, scootered there. On, we just scootered there on the Burt Gilman Trail, maybe. But that's a possibility. It's not, maybe maybe but yes we are at amc winville movie theater where i would go on to work seven years later uh february 2016 to august 2016 but this was june 2009 and we were going to the movie land of the lost uh we talked about episode four the paul Wright episode um yeah so we were only 16 at the time so we couldn't buy tickets for raid r movie so, um, but Land of Lost was only PG-13. But anyway, Jack Black, Michael Sarah starred in it. Can't really remember who else was in it, other than uh, Paul Rudd. He had a brief cameo. But it was okay, not great. They tr- I, th- I remember, like, they tried really hard. So, <laughs> like, Jack Black was definitely, like, bringing it. And it's, it'd probably be pretty funny if I tried watching it now. Just because I think those two 
actors are hilarious, so in their own ways. Um, but after we saw year one, we decided we had not got enough. So we walked on down to the other side of the movie theater um, and hopped on in, just snuck in, past the guards, past the gates, over the moat, past the crocodiles that I'm going to be talking about in uh, my new show on the Animal Planet, Crocodile It Down. <laughs> crocodile It Up. Um, I like Crocodile It Up, actually. Crocodile tone. <laughs> anyway, we snuck in to The Hangover. An amazing R-rated movie. That's why I was mentioning that we were only 16 at the time. Because we would not have been able to buy a ticket for this movie. The only way we could have seen it uh, in theaters, unsupervised, without adults, is if we snuck in, just like we did. So, we did that. We pulled a... Hold a Cash Levy slash uh, Brant Tobler, the two great, the two comedians who are the greatest at sneaking into events. Those two guys, uh, they've talked about it on podcasts. Um, it's pretty funny. But anyway, yes, we saw The Hangover, classic movie, American classic, comedy gold. Brody Stevens episode talked about episodes three. Uh, you got it. Positive energy. Brody Stevens. 818 till I die. You got it. Um, the Hangover. The Hangover 2. <laughs> uh, the Hangover 3. Cut out of it. Um, Brody Stevens, yeah. So The Hangover classic. It was a, such a funny movie. But after that, we maybe... We, We went a little too far. Maybe we asked for too much. We probably should have just stopped while we were ahead. Because we went for more, you know? We decided two movies was not enough. Two back-to-back movies. One for free. Two for the price of one. Um, We snuck into another one. (laughs) We did the unthinkable. Did the impossible. Snuck into Land of the Lost. Talked about it. Episode 1. The very first episode of A Star is Born. The uh, Will Ferrell episode. Um, this was an awful movie. Terrible. <laughs> and just in my opinion, though. If you liked it, more power to you, you know? That's okay. Everyone has their own opinions. I'm sure that I like things that other people think are ridiculous. Like uh, Jersey Shore. So, Actually, I know for a fact that people think that's ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean... I know it is too, but I just, I think that the thing about Jersey Shore is I think that they're in on it. The The cast members are in on the joke. I think they know what they're doing. Like, they know that they're projecting this image out there, and I I think that the Jersey Shore, the Jersey Shore, <laughs> wow, that's a great, that's a, all right, I'm writing this down. This has to be written down. Jersey Schmores. Jersey Schmore. Um anyway, as I was saying, I'm delighted by my my Freudian slip, slip of the tongue. I think the Jersey Shore cast members are smarter than people think. <laughs> you know, it sounds ridiculous, I know, but I think they're in on the joke. Like they know that 
they're projecting a ridiculous party people image. Um, but they're making a bunch of money from it, and they're still on TV. They're still they're still working. I don't know who's 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 the joke on really. You know what I mean? It's like one of those situations. Like like they're laughing all the way to the bank. But I mean, more power to them. Whatever. It's all good. Everyone makes everyone makes a dollar their own way. <laughs> it's like it's like can't blame them. Um, they figured out a way to be successful. So, I, and nowadays people just get famous for random things. It's like the Kardashian effect, you know. We talked about it, the Vincent Van Gogh effect. Vincent Van Gogh was the first Kardashian. So, <laughs> um. Oh man, I can't wait to open that pancake store too. I think we're gonna call it the Pancake Boss. The Pancake Boss. All right, what was I just saying? I don't know. I was just looking at my flamingo sticky note here, and just that caught my eye. I was just like, got excited about it for a second there, so that's why I mentioned it. But yes, yes, yes. Let's wrap it up. But not not the whole episode. Let's just wrap up the AMC triple feature. That was the AMC triple feature. <laughs> okay, there we go. We wrapped it up. Uh, very good. I think now is a good time. I'm going to read a little bit more. of um, Before we go any further in Sadie's IMDb page, I'm just going to read a little bit more of Night Hoops because I, really, I was really enjoying that. So let's find the page. Let's see, where were we? Here we are. Night Hoops Chapter 4 now. Uh, once the court was in... Oh, yeah, okay. All right, before I start reading this, I remember what tangent I was going off on. I was talking about how I respect... I don't know, I, I guess I do respect the fact that... I just want to say, I think the Jersey Shore, they're not as dumb as everyone thinks they are. I sound like I sound like their lawyer right now. I'm defending them. Um, I don't know. They're uh, exaggerating their personalities for effect to make moolah and uh, make people like them. I guess, or maybe it's good. Maybe they figured out that the more people that don't like them, the better, because that just means. Like nowadays, any press is good press, you know, even if it's negative. That's what the, that's what the Kardashians have like invented. They've uh, blazed that trail, pioneered. They're the Lewis and Clark of uh, any press is good press. <laughs> All right, here we go. Back to Night Hoops, Carl Duker, Chapter Four. Once the court was in, I didn't go up to Canyon Park Junior High. If the games there had been good, I might have, but too many of them were ruined by Trent Dawson. It was easier to shoot around in the backyard, especially since I had Scott to play against. He practiced his trumpet as much as ever, maybe even more, but when he finished practicing, he came out and shot hoops with me. When Dad came home from work, he would ask if we played ball during the day, and when we said we had, he'd look over at Mom with an I told you so on his face. After dinner, the three of us would go out and shoot some more. Dad was always looking to go one-on-one against Scott. You think you can stop your old man, he'd say? Scott would only half try. 
and Dad would barrel by him for the hoop. Is it is that the best you can do? I'd step up, try to drive on me, I'd say, and sometimes Dad would, but he never took me seriously, never came at me the way he went after Scott. No matter what I did or how well I did it, Scott came first. Take last season. I'd been the starting point guard at Kane Park Junior High's team, and I was good leading the team in scoring and assists, but my games were on the same day as Scott's. If Dad showed up for mine, it was only for a few minutes. He'd shout out that I should play hard and tough, and then he'd be off to Bothell High to watch Scott. I understand why he did it. Why watch a junior high game when there's a high school game going on? Still, I didn't much like seeing his back as he left the gym. While our court was new, we mainly played horse and 21 and bump. But little by little, and so slowly I could never say when it started, Dad began riding Scott, hectoring him to work on his shot, his rebounding, his dribbling, his passing. Scott would balk. Can't we just shoot around, he asked more than once. One day, after Scott missed a jump shot from the corner, Dad rebounded the ball and wheeled on him. How many times have I told you to get some arc on your shot? Scott didn't answer. How many? Two? Six? Six hundred? Scott still said nothing. His silence made Dad seethe. Since that question is too hard for you, maybe you can answer this one. Do you plan on playing varsity basketball this year? Or are you going to do that jazz band thing I hear you whispering about with your mom all the time? I knew Scott had been toying with the idea of quitting the basketball team so he could play with a jazz band year-round, and that mom was all for it. But I didn't think Dad knew. I'll probably play basketball again. You'll probably play, Dad mimicked. And how many minutes do you think you'll probably play? Or does that matter to you? Scott didn't answer, but I could see his jaws grinding. Listen, and listen good, Dad said at last. I need you to know what the score is. I need to know what the score is with you. If you're not serious about basketball, fine. I won't waste my time trying to teach you anything. But if you're going to try to make something of yourself on the court, something other than a third-string bench-warming senior, it's time to get busy. So what's it going to be? Do you want to be a player or don't you? Scott took a deep breath, exhaled. I want to be a player, he said, almost in a whisper. I didn't hear you, Dad said sharply. I want to be a player, Scott repeated, this time loud and clear and angry. So that means you're making a commitment. Yeah, not a half commitment, a commitment. No quitting. I'm no quitter. Scott snapped. For a moment, the two of them glared at each other, like boxers before a fight, and they looked so much alike it was scary. Dad's face relaxed ever so slightly. All right, he said. Since you're making a commitment to me, I'll make a commitment to you. I promise to teach you everything I know about basketball. He paused. You could be good, Scott. You could be very, very good. After that, Dad was like a drill sergeant. He'd have Scott practice passing, dribbling, shooting. Once he was satisfied with Scott's basic skills, he moved on to more complicated lessons. Footwork on defense, blocking out on rebounds, posting up on offense. Scott burned to prove Dad was wrong. You could see him trying, trying, but he couldn't keep up his intensity. He could play his trumpet for hours and never even know his time, but he wasn't that way on the basketball court. When Scott... Scott started to slack off. Dad would write him. What about that commitment? I thought you made a promise. 
Then for a while, Scott would play with fire again, but only for a while. Me? I was the other guy. Dad would take me by the shoulders and move me to a spot and tell me what to do. Scott would practice shooting over me or driving around me, blocking me off the backboard or stuffing my shots. Not much fun. Some days I wish that Dad had never built the court. Bad as those games at Camp Park Junior High had been, at least they were my games. Wow, I love this. This is bringing back memories of reading this book and me playing basketball at Camp Park Junior High. Oh my gosh, and Bottle High. Like playing against the... We used to play against the teachers after school sometimes at uh, Bothel High. That was always really fun. Man, so many good memories. <laughs> Playing basketball at the outdoor courts, like the tennis courts at Cane Park. Oh, man. When they painted the tennis courts at Bothel High, they used to be like normal, like dark green or whatever. But then they painted them blue, like Bothel blue. So... Oh, wow, this next chapter is really short. It's only two pages, so let's read it. Chapter 5. Yeah, but a blue tennis court looks kind of weird. I don't know. It's kind of like... I like I like it like on TV, I guess. It's a good aesthetic on TV. Like My mom loves watching tennis, too. So I'll watch a little bit of tennis. Especially any major. I think there are some... I believe the Australian Open has a blue court, actually, if I'm not mistaken. I like watching them play on clay, though. Like, when they slide on clay, it's so fun to see that. All right, here we go. Excuse me. Chapter 5. Scott and I were playing horse one afternoon toward the end of July when Darren Carver showed up at the back fence, Matt Markey and Carlos Febroa trailing behind him. Carver was more than the best basketball player at Bothell High. He was a class president, the most popular with girls, an A student. He'd never come to our house before, and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why he'd come now. I heard you put in a new basketball court, he said, leaning over the fence and staring at it as if for some gorgeous girl. Sure did, Scott answered. Come on back. We can play some. As Darren pushed the gate open, Scott turned to me. Beat it, Nick. I looked at him, not believing what I'd heard. Get lost, his voice was commanding. But I want to play. Well, you can't. Furious, I stormed up to my room and flung myself onto my bed. I lay there, arms folded across my chest, listening to the basketball bouncing and Scott and his friends laughing. I tried to tune them out, but I couldn't. At last, I slipped over to the window and peered down onto the court. They were playing a two-on-two game. Scott was mashed up against Carver, I wanted Carver to eat him up, but all the stuff Dad had taught Scott was paying off. He kept good position on defense, and he blocked Carver off the boards. On offense, Scott's jump shot was falling, and if Carver came up and tried to guard him tight, he'd give him, give him an up fake and drive to hoop. But slowly, things changed. As fatigue set in, Scott and Matt and Carlos started playing lazy. They'd throw up long jumpers, back off on defense, they stopped blocking out on rebounds, stopped hustling after loose balls. Not Carver. The longer they played, the harder he scrapped. More and more of the rebounds and loose balls ended up in his hands. He kept taking high percentage shots and he kept sinking them. During the first 10 minutes, Scott had played Carver even up. 
even up. For at least for the last half hour, Carver dominated him. You've got to want it more than the guy you're playing. I thought when Dad said that he was talking about pumping yourself up for the big game or the big quarter or even the big shot. Um, but Carver, but watching Carver made me realize wanting it means playing every second of every game as if it's the biggest moment in the biggest game of your life. You can't turn wanting it off and on. It's in you or it isn't. It was in Darren Carver, but on Scott. I had to find out if it was in me. Ooh, I love his style of writing. I just can't, I can't get enough of this. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll pause on there for a second. But I'm sure we're going to come back there and read another chapter in a little bit. Very inspirational. I definitely read those books when I was in junior high. Definitely the had a um, influence on the way I write. I love his, I like um, any book about sports too, but I used to really love those books about sports. They were my favorite kind growing up. Um, and that's what Carl Duker does pretty much exclusively, just writes books about sports. Uh, let's see, so we left ya. I think we left with, where were we? TV movie, 2007, Guard Dog, Uncredited, Crash and Burn, uh, The Kidnapping, TV movie, 2007, Tiger, Uncredited, Murder 101, New Age, TV movie, 2008, Pound Dog, Turned Attack Dog, Uncredited. It's a transformation. Um, wow, that's a descriptive credit. <laughs> descriptive character name. Um, Fold, a short from 2008 Suicide Man's Barking Dog There's a whole story behind that 2008, Cop Dog uh, Sadie Plays Police Dog, uncredited 2009, Next Day Air Plays Junkyard Dog, uncredited Case 39 from 2009 Tear Dog, uncredited Oh, this was a good movie. Super 8, 2011. Missing Dog. This is a PG-13, 112 minutes. Mystery, sci-fi, thriller. During the summer of 1979, a group of friends witness a train crash and investigate subsequent unexplained events in their small town. And it's a um, J.J. Abrams movie. So, um, The Lost Guy. You know, the lost guy. And the Star Wars guy now. That's a good, um, that's like a classic kind of, how do you describe it? Kind of like Stand By Me, almost. The Goonies. One of those, like, classic coming of age, Americana. Um, Anytown, USA. Small town story. Um, good stuff, though. I liked it. 2012. The final credit. I love the f this final credit for Sadie. This is so exciting. TV series from 2012. She plays the dental dog. One episode in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's Always Funny in Philadelphia. That's what I call it. One of my favorite comedies of all time. Let's do a top three and bottom three for Sadie. So... 
top three will obviously be It's Always Sunny and Super 8. And then let's throw in, um, which one should we throw in? Next Day Air. Let's put that one in there. And then for the bomb three, let's go Cop Dog, uh, Case 39, and Rise Blood Hunter. <laughs> okay, those three just corny. All right, there we go. That's Sadie for ya. Sadie, what kind of dog is Sadie? She kind of looks like a German Shepherd. Almost. And then Bud. Buddy was obviously a Golden Retriever. Oh, let's do, let's do Flipper. Flipper. Okay. Flipper was played by five female dolphins. Susie, Patty, Squirt, Scotty, and Kathy. Wait, so what? This is one. <laughs> oh, okay, it's a Flipper's a, a TV show from 1964 to 67, 88 episodes. I see. Thirty minutes. Ranger Porter Ricks is responsible for the animal and human life in Coral Key Park, Florida. Stories center on his 15-year-old son Sandy and 10-year-old Bud, Air Bud. And especially on their pet dolphin, Flipper. <laughs> That's such a 60s, like an old-timey sitcom plot. Just like a pet dolphin. Not, nothing complicated. Just give them a pet dolphin. Um, that'll, that'll make the audience happy. That'll make America. That'll entertain the masses. <laughs> I just imagine like the executives of that show. Just give the people what they want. Give them a dolphin. Um, pe people do love dolphins, though. They have to be one of the most beloved animals, I would think. So the only other credit for Flipper, even though Flipper is five dolphins, so I'm not really sure how this one works, which one of them played the dolphin in the Mike Douglas Show 1972 TV series. There you go. There's Flipper. Um, hmm. Would I ever... Would I ever, like, swim with a dolphin? I mean, I suppose I would. It feels well-trained. I mean, I've heard that they can be kind of... Dan like, aren't they dangerous? Are dolphins dangerous? I'm right. I'm a... Sorry, a Google. Google. Dolphins. Dangerous. Um, oh, more widely, scientists and federal officials worry about dolphins injuring or even killing humans, especially given the rise in watching, feeding, and swimming programs. Wildlife can be dangerous, says Trevor R. Spradlin, a federal dolphin expert. Well, that's a cool job, though. Dolphin expert. Put that in your Match.com profile. I'm a dolphin expert. <laughs> an amateur dolphin expert you know I like to research them on my own time on Google 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 this is Google um, but people see marine mammals differently particularly dolphins yeah exactly people see a shark and they're terrified but they see a dolphin and they want to 
They went right on his back. <laughs> they went right it like a horse. <laughs> Seriously, like people do not fear dolphins. They think dolphins are friendly. But it sounds like they're actually aggressive and can kill people and dangerous. This is interesting. That was, wow. That quote from Trevor R. Spradlin, the federal dolphin expert, was from July 1999, 20 years ago. So I wonder how dangerous they are now. That means dolphins are going to like take over society. <laughs> there actually was a, a Simpsons episode. I think it was a Trios of Horror, actually, that dolphins were taking over society, basically. Um, yes, yes, because they're also known for being so, what is it, so wise, so smart, the most intelligent, what are they called, like the humans of the sea or something? Oh, okay, here we go. Now we're looking at Molly. Molly's a horse. Um, whoops, I want to click on, I want that Amazon Prime, get out of that. Here we go. <laughs> All filmography, seven for Molly. Francis, she plays Francis in the 1950 movie Francis. She's in a bunch of Francis stuff. She's Francis the horse. 1951, Francis goes to the races. She plays Francis the talking mule. 1952, Francis goes to West Point. John, Francis joins the army and she plays Francis. 1953, Francis covers the big town, plays Francis the talking mule. Isn't it, I thought mule was different than horse. Uh, Francis joins the wax, W-A-C-S, whatever that is. 1954, she plays Francis. Uh, Francis in the Navy. So Francis got tired of the army, decided to join the Navy, wanted to take to the sea. The horses? I thought horses didn't really like water. I mean, yeah, you've never seen a horse swimming, right? No. <laughs> They're only, like, struggling in water. Uh, 1955. She plays Francis. And then the final one. 1956. Francis in the Haunted House. She plays Francis. I love it. I love a good haunted house. Um... The Haunted Mansion, the Eddie Murphy movie from 2003. It's one of my favorite movies back in the day. I need to rewatch that one. But I love a good haunted house. I definitely want to... That's something I want to do this upcoming Halloween is go, go get real scared somewhere, you know? Go pay someone to scare me in a haunted house. <laughs> Such a weird agreement. Here's some money. Can you just try to scare me? Or, oh man, I definitely would love to do one of those um, escape rooms. Or I would love to do one of those, like, murder, what is it called? Like a murder mystery thing? Like, kind of like that, that one Office episode where, where Michael's like, there's been a murder. How, how's he... <laughs> There has been a murder. <laughs> I'm so good at the tune. And then Creed runs out of the room. Yeah, I've talked about that. How much I love him. 
uh, I would, that'd be fun to do one of those, like, murder mystery dinner things. I don't know why, it just seems like, seems like some crazy stuff could happen, though. Definitely a movie plot, for sure. Kind of reminds me of Game Night, that new movie. Um, saw that one in theaters with my mom at the new uh, AMC Woodinville. After the remodel, they got the super comfy, leathery seats. They're like, uh, oh man, those are nice seats. It's basically like sitting at the dentist. <laughs> it's like going to the movie and sitting in the dentist chair. It's so nice. And you don't have to get your teeth operated on. <laughs> it would be nice to get that fluoride, though. I do love, uh, what's your guys' favorite flavor of the fluoride at the dentist? I think I have to say, I do like a good, like, minty, like a good spearmint, or maybe like a co- like a cotton candy or something, like, wacky, like a watermelon, cherry's always good, green apple. All right, <laughs> chapter six. We're back on night hoops here. Carl Duker. The next day, after Mom and Dad had gone to work and Scott had finished practicing his trumpet, I challenged him to go one-on-one. He shook his head. Carver's coming by. It'll be a good warm-up, he considered for a while. Okay. Once we were on the court, I pushed harder. Let's really play. Winners outs. Game to 11. Score by ones. No goofing around. He looked at me, a quizzical look on his face. You sound like Dad. Come on, I said. I'll whip you. And he did. He took me 11-3 and 11-4, out-rebounded me and muscling up short jumpers and lay-ins. I'd have played a third game, but Carver and the other guys showed up and Scott shooed me away. I challenged him again the next day and every day. Our games didn't change much. I wasn't big enough to mix it up with him inside, and I couldn't knock down enough outside shots to put a scare into him. The best I could do was 11-7, and I came that close only a couple times. When I was alone, I worked on my outside shot, figuring that to beat him, I had to hit everything. But the next day, Scott would crush me again, and I'd be back to square one. Then came another afternoon when I was chased upstairs so Scott could play with Carver and his buddies. As I stood at my window watching their game, the reason I was losing to Scott suddenly hit me. Carver was a couple inches shorter than Scott, but he still took the ball inside using his quickness and his moves to score, making Scott defend the whole court. That's not how I'd been playing. I'd given up the inside game, figuring I had no chance. Since I wasn't pushing the ball inside, Scott was all over me outside, hurrying my shots and forcing me farther and farther out. The next morning, I challenged Scott again. I was just another game to him. It was just another game to him, at least in the beginning. But early on, he found out that I was done heaving up 20-footers. I moved my game inside. I took a few elbows and cut my knees up when he knocked me on to cement. But the games were tighter, 11-8, 11-9. And I dished out a little punishment, too. Let's play one more, I said after I'd lost the second game. Scott shook his head. Why not? Afraid you're going to lose? Don't be stupid. You can't beat me. You're scared to play because you know I will. I was trash-talking them, though I didn't plan it. And it worked. All right, Nick. You want a lesson? You'll get a lesson. 
He came out on fire, nailing his first three jumpers. I thought you were going to eat me up, he jeered after his third shot went down. I am, I shot back. You'll see. He laughed. Then he took one dribble, raised and drained another jumper to go up 4 nothing. I was down 6 nothing, before Scott missed and I touched the ball for the first time. I took it to the corner and he was slow getting out to cover me. Instead of going up for the jumper, I drove it to the hoop and kissed the lay-in off the backboard, 6-1. to one. He didn't guard me tight on my next bucket either. A little 8-footer I swooshed after he went for a head fake. On my next possession, I got off another good shot, an uncontested pull-up 15-footer that missed off the back rim. Scott rebounded, took the ball back, and nailed a long set shot, pushing the score to 7-2. to two. Five buckets is a big lead, but every one of the scores had come from outside. Lazy man hoops. He thought he could win easily. I knew I'd have to work. I took a hand right up to his face on his next shot. Another long-range bomb that, le- that fell short. I was on the rebound like a hawk. I took the ball back, then worked my dribble in close, finally blowing by him with a crossover dribble for a lay-in. That's how the rest of the game went. Scott casting off jumpers while I scored my points in the key. I closed to 8-5, to five, then 9-8. to eight. He missed a 12-footer. I shagged the rebound, raced to the corner, and for the first time, let an outside shot go. Nothing but net. We were tied. He grabbed the ball as it went through the net and bounced it to me. I faked another long jumper. He lunged out to try to block it, and I drove it past him for my 10th hoop. Scott carried the ball out and shoved it into my gut trying to intimidate me, but I wasn't backing down. He crouched low. I swung the ball in front of him, tempting him. Finally, he swiped at it, but his hands were too slow. As his body moved forward, I took two hard dribbles to the left. He was a half step behind me, and when I pulled up for the jumper, he stumbled a little. I had a good look at the hoop and knocked knocked down a 12-footer for the victory. Yes, I shouted, making a fist and pumping it. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not going to say I won every game after that, but I won more than my fair share. Sometimes down at Golden Gardens, you can actually see the tide come in, see each wave claiming more and more of the beach. I was like those waves. Every day I felt my game growing stronger. Scott could push me aside when his buddies arrived, but when tryouts came, there'd be no sending me to my room. Boom. Golden Gardens. That's a big, famous... um beach in Seattle. It's actually pretty near the uh, the office of the uh, lawn mowing business that I worked for last summer down there in Seattle. But yeah, Golden Gardens. I think people do like bonfires down there, sing kumbaya around the fire, you know, <laughs> do a barbecue, barbecue up some bratwurst. Wisconsin, get some bratwurst. Pankers. Man, I'm loving this night hoops. Alright, we'll we'll come back to it, I'm sure. Let's take a little break from it. Let's go back to the um let's uh skip on back over. Who do we want to talk about now? Let's talk about Rin Tin Tin. It's a doggy. Born in September of nineteen eighteen. Died August 10th, 1932. Lived to be 13. Um, looks like, um, maybe 
I can't really tell. Like I said, I'm not good at telling what kind of dogs, what breeds dogs are. This one also looks like a German Shepherd to me. <laughs> I think all dogs just look like German Shepherds to me. Wow. 27 acting credits. That's a lot. Here we go. Rin Tin Tin. 1922. The Man from Hell's River. Plays Wolf Dog. Apparently all dogs are just descendants of wolves. So. I believe it. 1922. Even though my dog, Athena... She was not very wolf-like. She was too too uh, calm and polite and uh, gentle for that. But <laughs> some I've seen dogs with like spiky ears and stuff and just look kind of like little wolves. 1922, a movie called My Dad plays Rin Tin Tin. 1923, Where the North Begins plays Rin Tin Tin. 1924, Find Your Man. Place Buddy. Uh, 1924. The Lighthouse by the Sea. Place Rin Tin Tin. I love a good lighthouse. <laughs> 1925. That's something I'll, I'll Google. Google. And look at the images of. Like I told you guys I like looking at McDonald's from around the world. Starbucks from around the world. I'll look at uh, lighthouses. I was just looking at images of like Cape Cod. Cape Cod. Um, what's the other one? Uh, the one that Obama has. Uh, Martha's Vineyard. Yep, I was looking at that one too. There we go. I made it. In the Hamptons. I like looking at the big mansions on the sea. Speaking of mansions on the sea, the three places I'd like to live in my life, give them a little shout, <laughs> cottage in a forest, cabin on a lake, high rise in the city. Maybe I'll have to add a mansion by the sea to that. I think I'm going to add that. Number four, mansion. You know, that kind of, might be kind of sketchy with the future. Um, we'll see what happens with all that, uh, climate change stuff <laughs> we'll see it's okay i can still dream of living in a mansion by the sea nothing wrong with that sounds like a good netflix movie <laughs> netflix original the mansion by the sea starring leonardo DiCaprio and his pet dog rin tin tin here we go tracked in the snow country Snow country. Speaking of snow country, I'm out here holding it down in a cottage country. Cottage country Pullman, baby. You know it. Tracked in the snow country plays Rin Tin Tin. What is tracked in the snow country? When Rin Tin Tin's master is found murdered, Rinty, oh, he goes, that's what he goes short for. Rinty is accused of the crime. Knowing who the real murderer is, Rinty travels to the frozen country or the northwest to track him down and bring him justice while clearing his own name. Wait, so is Rinty a... I still don't understand if Rinty is a person or Rin Tin Tin. How can the dog be accused of a murder? <laughs> oh no. 
That's such a 1920s movie. This dog, someone was murdered. The dog did it. <laughs> let's let's get him. <laughs> and he just runs away. Oh no, we can't catch him. Our cars are too slow. This dog can the dog can outrun the cars. Um, 1925, below the line, Rintintin, 1925, Clash of the Wolves, plays Lobo, leader of the wolf pack, 1926, The Night Cry, plays Rintintin, 1926, A Hero of the Big Snows, lots of snow, lots of winter movies, Rinty, as Rintintin. 1926. While London Sleeps. Rinty. <laughs> Rinty. 1927. Hills of Kentucky. The Grey Ghost. Ooh. That sounds like a creepy ghost. The Grey Ghost. Is that like... It's a ghost that loves um wolves. Or it's a ghost that's followed by a pack of wolves. I guess I'm trying to connect it to the movie The Grey. The Liam Neeson movie. It's the ghost of a wolf pack. There we go. Um, I think it's spelled differently, though. Because what's the British way? What's the British way to spell grey? Well, I'm going to look it up. Grey versus grey. This is like the further, farther thing. Remember I told you guys about further versus farther? Farther is for physical difference. Um, physical distance. F-A-R-T-H-E-R. Because the way you can remember that is far is in the word. So that's for physical distance. And then further is metaphorical. But as for gray versus gray, um, G-R-A-Y is the U.S. spelling, while G-R-E-Y is a British. Okay. Very good. There we go. I don't know how you can... What's a mnemonic device to memorize that one? Hmm. A for USA. There we go. That's how you remember it. Gray, gray with an A. A for USA. Boom. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, 19. Where were we? 1927. Tracked by police. Plays Satan. <laughs> Never heard a dog named Satan before. Who named that dog a cat? <laughs> Did Garfield name that dog? Uh, 1927. Jaws of Steel. Plays Rinty. 1927. A Dog of the Regiment. Plays Rinty. Um, a Race for Life. 1928. Plays Rinty. Let's see what this one's all about. It is... Wow, what does this mean? Where it normally says a rating, it says past. I don't know what that means. I've never seen that before. I guess the people who they asked to rate it, they just, they passed on it. They decided they didn't want to rate it. Don't know if that's a, a negative review of the movie. or um, Let's see, it's action-adventure drama. Danny O'Shea, played by Bobby Gordon. Runs away from home with his pet dog, Rinty, played by Rin Tin Tin, and heads for a racetrack determined to become a famous jockey. 
Aided by Rinty, he soon find he's soon riding in a big race. Wait, so is it like is it a horse racetrack or is it a dog racetrack? Hmm. So many questions. Oh wow, he is a he's the title role in this movie. Rinty of the Desert plays Rinty. Oh, we gotta see what this one is. Um Rint, Rinty is a dog of the desert. What does that mean? They're acting like that's something like an established thing in society that everyone knows. No one knows what a dog of the desert means. What? <laughs> um, a dog of the wanders into a big city, finds many reasons to turn his back on humanity. I feel like dogs could find a few reasons to turn their back on humans. I don't know. I think overall humans are pretty good to dogs. Like we treat them pretty well. Some humans treat dogs better than they treat other people. I mean, give them like they let them sleep on their bed and give them treats and rub their bellies and stuff. You don't do that for your friend. <laughs> you don't rub your friend's belly. Um, he's given a home by Sweet June Marlowe. Sweet June Marlowe. Come on in, Rinty. Come in through that dog door right there. Um, played by Audrey Ferris. But he soon finds himself being treated badly by animal trainer Mike Doyle. Doyle. Played by Paul Panzer. But he saves his mistress from the unwelcome attentions of Oily Doyle. What? <laughs> wow. Les, Ad Les Adams is the person who wrote this. They had fun writing it. Oily Doyle? The Oily Doyle? That's like a wrestling move. Give him the Oily Doyle. Tell him the Oily Doyle. Um, then, then comes the rescue of June's grandfather, Pop Marlowe, played by Otto Hoffman, who is being held prisoner by a gang of hooligans. Oh my gosh, there's so much going on in that plot summary. I cannot even start to break it down. And <laughs> I can't, just like the the last sentence, who's being held prisoner by a gang of hooligans? I, I have so many questions. <laughs> I have so many things I want to know, but I really want to see this movie, actually. I just picture Pop Harlow just tied up in a chair with like duct tape around his mouth. And then, like, some hooligans. I guess they're, like, soccer fans. Like, they're all wearing soccer jerseys and shooting off ball rockets. <laughs> I imagine them having, like, the gang of hooligans just having a ball rocket war indoors. That seems like something the hooligans would do. Just, like, no... No... <laughs> no care in the world. Uh, 1928s. Land of the Silver Fox plays Rinty. Nineteen twenty nine, the Million Dollar Caller, the Million Dollar Caller plays Rinty. So Rinty was kind of like his stage name. Um, let's see what this one is. Bill Holmes played by Maddie Kemp. Uh, Matt Kemp. Was he on the Dodgers now? Baseball player. Uh, rescues Rinty, Rintintin, from a car wreck, not realizing 
there is a stolen $50,000 diamond necklace hidden in the dog's collar. He discovers this fact when he falls into the hands of the criminal gang. Mary French, played by Evelyn Pierce, a member of the gang, uh, but sick of it all, and Rinty help him escape. And with the reward money, the young lovers begin their honeymoon. The end. Okay. It's only 62 minutes. It's a crime movie. And it was also passed, passed on by the Raiders, whatever that means. I'm, I gotta figure out what that means. We got we have to figure this out. Past rating. Let's see what that means. Past rating. Um. Oh, now it just comes up with passer rating. <laughs> okay, just comes with NFL passer rating. Terminology. Stack ex- movies stackexchange.com. Um, this person is asking about the terms past. Uh, let's see. Let's see if anyone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It looks like they, they don't really. Um. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> let's let it go. We're going to let it go. If you know, tweet me. Hit me on Twitter. Um, yeah, if you're a movie critic or something, or you work for the movie rating system, let's let's figure this out together. Let's figure this out as a starfish. What do you call a group of starfish? That's what we got to figure out. Because it's not a community. You know how the, there's a different name for every group of animals? Like, uh, what's a good one? Like a school of fish? Or um, a band of horses? <laughs> that's just a good band. That's just one of my favorite bands. Um, I don't know if that is what you call it. Maybe that is what you call a group of horses. Uh. Oh, yes. What is the name for a group of starfish? Uh, this person, this person on Reddit just said a group of starfish should be called a constellation. It's when they're shower thoughts. Apparently, shower thoughts is probably a big uh, hashtag or something. <laughs> Sound like an old person. One of those hashtags. Um, let's see. What, what do you call a group of starfish? I don't know. Sounds like no one has figured out a name for a... Maybe Quora. Maybe Quora could tell us. It's usually not that good, though. The collective. So this person's saying a galaxy or constellation of sea stars. I'm saying starfish, not sea or sea stars. <laughs> Do some people call starfish sea stars? Um. Apparently, this is kind of random, but I guess a group of group of hippos is called a crash, a bloat, a herd, a pod, or a dale. That's so many different things. All right. We're not going to find... <laughs> we'll have to find that. I'll find out my own time, and I'll report back to y'all about what the name of a group of starfish is so I don't have to research it on the spot with all the pressure. Under pressure, crashing down on me. 
crashing down on you, no man is home, under pressure, crashing down on me, crashing down on you, no man is home, um ba da day, ah um ba da day, in a no, in a no, like something in the world of fun, alright, I just heard our doorbell ring, so that's why I was kind of distracted there. Um, we'll see if it's someone. We'll see if they interfere. If they have to come in. Hopefully not. Um, expecting a maybe a kook housing inspection. So that might be what this is. We'll see. Where were we? 1920. Under pressure. <laughs> 1929. Oh, yes, they are. It is kook housing because they're fixing the shower. It's been it's been clogged up. It's been uh, overflowing almost, I would say. 1929. Just for, to let you guys know what's going on in the old kook housing apartment. The coffee house apartments over here in Pullman. Um, 1929. We left Rinty Frozen River. Plays Lobo. Nineteen twenty nine, show of shows. Plays Rin Tin Tin, introducing an Oriental fantasy <laughs> number. Whatever that means. That sounds kind of old, old fashioned. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to say that anymore, unless you're talking about rugs. <laughs> uh, Nineteen twenty nine, uh, Tiger Rose. Play Scotty. 1930. The Lone Defender. Plays Rinty. Uh, 1930. On the Border. Plays Rinty. 1930. Man, Rin, Rin Tin just does a ton of movies every year. This, this animal... This animal has a... Has an engine that don't quit. It's got a motor. Uh, 1930, On the Border, Rinty. 1930, The Manhunter, Rinty. 1930, Rough Waters, Rinty. And finally, 1931, The Lightning Warrior, as Rinty. Let's go top three and bottom three for Rinty. For Rintin Tin. For top three, let's go... Um, a Race for Life, Rinty of the Desert, and Land of the Silver Fox. And then bottom three, let's go The Lone Defender, Tiger Rose, and Frozen River. Um, Yeah, definitely sounds like the bathroom is getting fixed right now. That's good. Good to hear. Happen to hear it? Um, let's see. Buck. I know that because my room borders shares a wall with the bathroom. So I can hear it, you know, you know. Um, nineteen eighty three is when Buck was born. Buck is like a shaggy old dog. I don't know what kind of dog you call this, but picture like a shaggy dog. Like you know that who was it? Tim Allen that played the voice of the Shaggy Dog. That's what Buck is. 
He was born April 26, 1983, and passed away May 28, 1996. Let's see what Buck is known for. Oh, only two credits. So before we go into those, let's just... I've been so into Night Hoops this episode that we're just going to keep keep riding this Night Hoops train. Hop back on it. So here we go. Chapter 7 of Carl Duker's Night Hoops. Then it was September in school. I thought I'd be going in with Scott, but he had banned during zero period, and I didn't start until an hour after that. So I was on my own. My last year at Cane Park Junior High, I'd pretty much had the run of the school. All ninth graders did. We ate lunch up on the patch of grass that we called the ninth grade island, unless there was a fight or something. Not even teachers ventured there. In the school hallways, the little seventh grade girls looked up at us as if we were gods until the seventh grade boys, the sevies, cleared a path for us. If we barked at them even a little, us tear-stricken, tear-stricken, look would come across their faces as if they were afraid we were going to wait for them after school and then chop them up into little pieces with the hatchet in the halls of Bothell High that first day my world was suddenly upside down I was the little kid the senior guys especially the football players towered over me I found myself hugging the walls nervously moving out of the way for them praying that no linebacker would pick me out and start riding me the way that some guys at Canyon Park had ridden 7th graders, making their life's hell for a year. It wasn't just fear of being tortured that made Bothell different. At the junior high, most of the girls looked like little kids. Here, lots of them looked like grown women, and the school was huge compared to Canyon Park. I had a room in class in room 303, then my next class was in 107, and I finished the day with geometry in 705, which turned out to be a portable behind the gym. Still... All that stuff was minor compared to the biggest problem. Trent Dawson. He was in my English class, my gym class, and my geometry class. We had the same lunch period, too. Every time I turned around, he was there. And he was no different. Nobody fools around on the first day at school. Nobody except Trent. He saved his best or worst for last. He was late for geometry, talked while Mrs. Glandon was giving us the rundown on her rules, and on his way to the water fountain in the back of the room, he knocked the books off three kids' desks. When Devin Klein told him to cut it out, Trent stuck his face right up in Devin's and sneered, Yeah, what are you going to do about it? The walk home takes about 30 minutes. For the first 15, I replayed the day in my mind. But once I reached my own block, my thoughts turned to basketball. I hoped I could get Scott to play, even if it was just horse. As I opened the front door, I heard the trumpet coming from the downstairs den. I walked to the doorway. You want to shoot some hoops? No, came the answer. Why not? I asked as I headed down, but before I reached the bomb step, I knew the reason. Sitting next to Scott on the sofa, clarinet in hand, was Katya Ushakov, back from her summer vacation in Russia. Mom had met the Ushakovs at the grocery store a couple of years earlier. They'd come to America after the Soviet Union had broken up. Both of Katya's parents played for the Seattle Symphony. Every time you walked by their house, you heard, you'd hear music leaking out the windows and doors. Katya's brother, Michael, had been in some of my classes at Cane Park. They hardly seemed as if they could be brother and sister. 
She was beautiful, long and lanky, with red blonde hair and blue eyes. She spoke English with an accent that made her even more attractive. Michael was dark, had little pig's eyes, and was so fat his flesh jiggled when he walked. When he he talked to you, he stuck his face right up into yours. So close you could see the yellow on his teeth and smell the garlic on his breath. For months he did terrible in school, but everybody figured it was because he didn't know English very well. Then one day in the cafeteria, Trent called him a retard. That got a laugh, so after that, Trent ridiculed him all the time, especially after school when no adults were around. On weekends, Zach would join him. They'd follow Michael down the street, taunting him. Michael, buddy, you need a bra? There's a sale at Kmart. This went on for a couple months until one day Michael was gone from school. Somewhere, somehow we heard that he transferred to Sherwood, which is a school for kids who can't learn in regular class. But he wasn't gone from the neighborhood. The symphony's performances were at night, and that's when he'd wander around singing songs in Russian or feeding the ducks along the Burt Gilman Trail. Burt Gilman Bike Trail. Always talk about it. <laughs> Seeing him out at night, worried, worried mom. I don't like it, she'd say. I don't like it at all. Don't worry. Bothell's safe, dad would answer. Besides, what can the Ushakovs do? They've got to work. That afternoon, I said hello to Katya and then asked her about Michael. He's okay, she replied in a way that made it clear he wasn't okay at all. You should come by, Nick. He'd love to see you. I will, once school sells down. She nodded, but I knew she didn't believe me, and for good reason. Feeling guilty, I turned to Scott. How long are you going to practice? He laughed. Every spare minute I've got. Oh, I said. As soon as I left, they started playing again, and their music followed me to the backyard. I had the basketball court to myself, but for a while, all I could hear was their music. I thought about how angry Dad would be if he came home day after day and found Scott playing the trumpet. Then I pictured Mom and how she'd take Scott's side and how they'd all argue and how my head and my head started to pound. Basketball, that's what matters, I thought. Shaking my head, I practiced dribbling with my left hand and then my right, behind my back, between my legs, crossovers, stutter steps. I practiced shooting pull-up jumpers and finger rolls, sweeping hooks and reverse lanes. I practiced my defensive footwork and blocking out on rebounds. I practiced that day after day, the rhythm of my basketball nearly, excuse me, the rhythm of my basketball nearly but not quite drowning out Scott's trumpet and Katya's clarinet. While I shot around, first mom and then dad would come home from work. Mom would wave and go inside to make dinner. Dad would shoot a hoop or two, maybe even play a little horse. And every day he'd ask the same question, did your brother practice at all? Every day I'd shake my head and his eyes would darken. Towards the end of September, Dad was injured at work. A forklift driver started to lose a bunch of boxes and when Dad grabbed for them, his fingers were squashed. It was a bi- no big deal, nothing broken, but his left hand was so swollen the doctor told him to stay home for a couple of days. When I returned from school that afternoon, he was playing ball in the backyard. That didn't surprise me. Puffy fingers weren't going to keep him down. What did surprise me was seeing Scott on the court with him. Katya was sitting on the back stairs, clarinet in hand, a bored look on her face. I sat down next to her to watch their game. They were going one-on-one, and they were playing hard. Even with a swollen hand, Dad was crushing Scott. He posted Scott up and shoot over him. 
If he missed, he'd crash the boards, grab the rebound, and put up another shot. Power basketball, and Scott couldn't stop him. Once Dad scores 11th point, Scott started off the court. Where are you going? Dad asked, a sharp edge to his voice. Scott wheeled around, frustration on his face. Like I've been telling you for the last half hour, I've got to practice. That's why Katya's here, you know. Yeah, Dad said. Well, Katya can wait a few more minutes. I want to see you play Nick. Why? Because I want to. Is that so much to ask? <clears throat> Scott gave Katya a look, sighed loudly, and then turned to Dad. One game? <clears throat> Excuse me. One game? Dad nodded, and then I'm done. Then you're done. Scott looked at me. All right, Nick, let's play. I thought I'd win easily, that Scott would roll over to get the game finished so he could play his trumpet. I'd forgotten that Katya was watching. In the beginning, I think he forgot too. I scored the first three buckets, two on pull-up jumpers and one on a lay-in. But after the third hoop, Katya called out, Come on, Scott! And I knew he was coming after me. It was on the boards that he did it. He was taller than I was by four inches, and without a ref to call over the back fouls, he could pound away inside. He did to me exactly what Dad had done to him. A couple of times, he bodied me right off the court. Down nine to six, I backed up a step and sunk a long jumper. He shook his head. Pure luck, he grumbled. But I switched another one, and then a third to tie it up. That brought him right out on me, so close I could smell his sweat. I drove hard down the right side of the lane, then went behind the back and scooped up a little left-handed running hook that dropped. Score, 10-9, to nine, my lead. One more basket and I had him. Again, he guarded me tight, and again I drove the lane. Only this time, I pulled up for the jump shot. He stayed with me, though, and he swatted the ball out of the air. The ball was headed out of bounds, and it would have been my possession, but I hustled after it anyway. Hustled because that's the way you win. Scott watched me, not realizing what I was doing. So when I did grab the ball, just before it went out of bounds, I was in the clear. So open, in fact, that I was afraid I'd choke the shot. I dribbled once more, or dribbled once to get some rhythm. Scott flew at me, but he was too late. I pulled the trigger. The ball soared high, tracing a beautiful rainbow, then fell out of the air, down and through. I'd beaten him. As soon as the ball whistled through the net, Scott headed off the court. You quitting? Dad asked him, incredulous. Scott didn't answer. Dad followed behind him as he headed up the back steps. I don't understand you, Nick. Or, I don't understand you. Nick beats you in front of your girlfriend, and you don't even want a rematch? Scott turned to him, turned on him, his face contorted with anger. What is it you want from me, Dad? What is it? You want me to be the big basketball star you never were? Is that it? Well, I'm not going to be. Got that? I'm not going to be. Maybe Nick will be, but I won't. So spend your time with him and leave me alone. The back door opened and Mom stepped out. I hadn't known she was home. I don't think Scott or Dad had known either. What is all the screaming about, she demanded, looking from Scott to Dad. No one said anything. Scott looked at Dad, then turned to Katya. Come on, let's go downstairs. You're a quitter, Dad called after him. You hear me? A quitter. Mom stepped aside as Scott, red-faced with rage, stormed by her into the house. Katya followed him, her face pasty white. I stood on the court, holding the ball, looking from Mom to Dad, and then back again to Mom. She was at the top of the stairs, her whole body quivering with fury, glaring at Dad. What are you looking at? he asked scornfully. 
She studied him for a long time. I don't know anymore. I just don't know. Then she went back inside the house, the door quietly clicking closed behind her. Both Dad and I stared at the closed door for a while, almost as if we were in a trance. Then all at once he turned to me. What do you say, Nick? You want to play some? Oh, man. I just got some goosebumps from that. All right. This chapter eight is a short one. I love this book. Mr. Duker is such a good writer. Ooh, uh, here we go. I love how I obviously love how it's in uh, my hometown, Bothell. It's pretty cool reading a book about your hometown. Uh, here we are. Chapter eight. I heard the voices after midnight. At first, it was the way it usually was. The low, urgent tones. Dad, louder than mom. Then came the screaming, screaming like I'd never heard before. Scott's door opened. We stood side by side at the top of the stairs and listened. Why does he have to play basketball? Will you tell me that? It's perfectly clear he likes music more. Is that so awful? Get a clue. How many times do I have to tell you this? It isn't music he likes. It's Katya Yushikov's body. And you know what he wants to do with her, or should I say to her, as well as I do. There's a long pause. You've got a filthy mind, Matthew, but that doesn't mean Scott does. Every boy has a filthy mind, Caroline, Dad said. That's one of the many things you, that you don't know about boys. I'll tell you one thing I do know, Mom shot back. I do know how to talk to my son. He doesn't look at me with hatred in his eyes, at least not yet. But if you don't back off, he'll end up hating both of us. You're poisoning this house. The laugh again. Excuse me. So now I'm poisoning this house? If I'm so awful, I'm surprised you still want me around. Who says I do? It was as if a blast of icy air had filled every corner of the house. Mom's voice was different than I'd ever heard it. Dark somehow. Watch yourself, Caroline. Dad said, his voice now dark too. Don't push too hard or I'll walk out that door and never come back. Do you want me to open it up for you, Matthew? The silence seemed to last forever. Finally, Dad's voice burst out like gunshots. You want it, Caroline? You got it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Fine. You can leave in the morning. The hell with that. I'll leave right now. He paused. There is a place where I'll be welcome, you know. Yes, I'm quite aware of that. For a few minutes, we heard his heavy footsteps moving from the living room to the bathroom to the bedroom. At last, we heard the front door open and then slam close. Mom walked around a little after that as if she was cleaning up or something. Then we heard her crying. Do you think we should go down? Scott whispered. What do we say? He thought for a second. I don't know. She cried for what seemed like hours, but it was probably only a few minutes. Then the living room light went off. Immediately, we sneaked back to our own rooms. At breakfast, Mom was businesslike. I'm not going to lie to you. There's been too much fighting around here. You know it, and I know it, and your dad knows it. And it's not good for you. It's not good for us. So today, I'm going to see a lawyer about a divorce. It won't be easy. There will be less money, and we'll have to make all have to make sacrifices. But it has to be done. She looked at Scott, then at me. That's when I noticed how red-rimmed her eyes were and how sad. This isn't your fault, and it doesn't mean you won't see your dad anymore, or that he doesn't love you. He's your dad, and there's no one in the world who will ever love you like your dad. Wow. End of... That's the end of part one. So we just knocked out part one of Night Hoops. 
such a good book. I love it. Um, wow, let's see. Now let's read uh, Buck's credits here. Um, here we go. Buck. He's in the 1988 movie Scrooged. Bill Murray. Plays Dog. A, a selfish, cynical television executive is haunted by three spirits bearing lessons on Christmas Eve. Bill Murray and Karen Allen. Oh, Bill Murray. That's going to be a great episode of A Star is Born. Um, but now we're doing animals. Oh my gosh. Buck is known for being Buck the dog. Long John Buck. <laughs> um, 190 episodes. 1987 to 95. Married with children. That was the show that had a... Uh, Jay from Modern Family, Ed O'Neill, as well as uh, Katie Sagel, 22-minute comedy, TVPG. Oh, yeah, and also, when I was reading that, The Night Hoops, I heard that um, the guy from Coog Housing, the maintenance guy, he said, everything's all good. I heard, I heard him leave, so when I take my shower tonight after this, haven't taken a shower yet since today, since playing hoops over there at the gym. Um, yeah, the, it won't be clogged up, so there we go. Win-win. Thought I'd let you guys know. Um, God, I love playing basketball, too. I'm telling you guys, even if you think that you don't like basketball, you think you don't like playing it, just, just give it a shot. Next time you're at a gym that has some hoops... Just uh, grab a basketball and throw up some jump shots, you know? I think everyone loves it. I think it's one of those it's one of those sports that translates across like everyone, all individuals from all backgrounds. Everyone can play basketball. And you can play against other people. It can be like two people, four people, six, eight, ten. That's what's so great about basketball. Or you could do even three people. Play a game of 21. That's what's so great. <laughs> like I'm the spokesperson. I'm a James Naismith um, disciple, I guess. <laughs> He's one of my ancestors. That would be pretty cool, though, to be an ancestor of the Naismiths. We got to see who the person... Excuse me. I was just talking about this last episode. The person whose idea it was to... Put a bottom on the basketball hoop. We'll have to look into that too. Let's see. Yes, because uh, James Naismith invented the basketball, of course, but he had like a peach basket. So he was using a, a literal basket. So every time someone made a hoop, they had to pull out the ladder and <laughs> stop the game, pull out a ladder, grab the ball. That's so funny. That's so, that's so crazy to think about. I mean, I guess that's how you learn, though. Trial and error. Uh, all right. This is Married with Children. Al, Al Bundy is a misanthropic woman's shoe salesman with a miserable life. He hates his job. His wife is lazy. His son is dysfunctional, especially with women. And his daughter is dim-witted and promiscuous. What's misanthropic mean? I'm guessing it means like sad or something, but from that context, but 
let's see, misanthrope. A person who dislikes humankind and avoids human society. <laughs> okay. So it's like a recluse, I would say. A hermit. A hibernation, a bear in hibernation, if you will. Um, let's look at Mason. Mason looks like a nice doggy. Was it like a... Mason might be a border collie. Is that what a border collie looks like? I think it is. So bad at deciphering dog breeds. Okay, maybe this isn't a border collie. Something in that neighborhood, though. Um, Mason. Let's see what Mason is. Uh, two credits here. Cable Beach, a TV movie from 2004. Plays Kyle's dog. And Lassie plays Lassie. There's a 2005 Lassie movie. 100 Minutes, PG, adventure, comedy, drama. A family in financial crisis is forced to sell Lassie, their beloved dog. Hundreds of miles away from her true family, Lassie escapes and sets out on a journey home. Oh, I love a good dog movie. Um... I have not seen Marley and Me, though, but I hear so sad. <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, with the dog movie, it's going to be sad, probably, but my mom bought that book, too, at, uh, like, Third Place Books, but I haven't read it yet, either. Owen Wilson's on the cover of the book, too. Here, speaking of books, let's read a little bit of 300 writing prompts. So this is stuff that I have written... Um, it's a journal, it's a bunch of writing prompts, stuff that, it, my mom got this for me from Christmas. Let's see, I'll try to find one real quick here. What's your favorite way to spend a lazy day? Here's a few things. Listen to podcasts, write, read, watch movies, daydream, listen to music, watch sports, eat, play basketball, work out. Go for a walk or multiple. Sleep. Take cat naps. Play with kitty. That's my black cat at home in Bothell. Uh, sit and ponder. Think. What if? Uh, watch reality TV. Jersey Shore. Real world, etc. Cook. That's funny. That last one was kind of... That's kind of bogus. I don't spend much time cooking. Um... What did you get in trouble in for the most when you were a kid? I remember I would always say, what if, a lot. And mom and dad would get a little annoyed by that. <laughs> I can see that being a little annoying. Just like you got a kid that's always like, what if? <laughs> it's like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to order McDonald's right now. <laughs> Stop saying, what if dinosaurs were real, okay? <laughs> we're going to get a dinosaur in your Happy Meal, okay? Um, Let's see. Here's another one. If you were to teach as a career, what would you teach? And I wrote, I would be an English teacher because I'm a writer and I love to read and write. I also think this would be my most effective field of expertise, as well as being the one that I am most passionate about. Um, I would say that's definitely true. I would love to be an English teacher. I like, I like just like literature. Like that's one of my favorite subjects. Like, just classic literature. Like, I love reading, like, a good, like, 
To Kill a Mockingbird or like some class like 1984 or like Brave New World or Catcher in the Rye. You know, one of those classic American novels. Um, I have not read two of those. So I haven't read Brave New World or 1984. But I definitely do have, I think both of those we have at home. Um, let's see. Let's, let's see if we can, okay. I, th- I don't think I've read this one yet. Uh, what do you think is the most important question in life? Why are we here? What is my purpose? How can I make the world a better place? What will I remember when I'm old and laying in bed with a bunch of old, other old people? And when, just like uh, Charlie, Charlie's uh, grandparents from Charlie and Chalk Factory. Uh, what has meaning? What drives you? What does your soul hunger for? What? Why do we do what we do? Why do we act this way? What does it mean to be human? And what makes you smile? Man, those are some deep existential questions there. Uh, let's see. Can we find one more good one? To, which household chores are you responsible for? Which do you hate doing? Which ones do you actually like? I always took out the recycle. Yeah, that was always my number one chore. And also, um, helping to gather garbages around the house on Tuesday night. Because Tuesday night was our garbage night. So we get like the low garbage from the TV room, bathroom. And then from my parents' bathroom and their bedroom. And then the kids' bathroom, which is the one upstairs. Right next to my brother and sister's room. And then the garbage from the kitchen, obviously. And uh, the garbage from downstairs in the basement. The kitty, the kitty layer box garbage. And then also the garbage in the garage. Um, which is in the Mariner's, it's a Mariner's trash can. A big tin, a giant tin trash can. That, uh, oh man, we had ping pong. We have a ping pong table at home in Bothell. I, I'm obsessed with playing ping pong. Such a big fan of it. So obsessed with it. But that just reminded me because... It's funny when the ping pong ball gets hit and goes directly into the Mariner's tin trash can. It's like scoring a goal or something. It makes it like ting noise. <laughs> it's like ski ball at the arcade. Um, let's see. Took out the recycle. My other chores. I do the dishes. Oh, I always do the dishes. Um, and empty dishwasher. Oh, I just really am a big fan of just doing the dishes, listening to the podcast or some music or something, looking out the window. Because um, our at home in Bothell, the dish, the sink overlooks the backyard. So let's see. I used to walk Athena, yeah, and then clean the kitty's litter box, of course. But you don't want to get that, um, the cat litter disease that everyone's talking about. You guys hear about that one? Where, uh, oh, what? Yeah, I'll look it up here in a second. Um, let's see. I gotta look it up. We gotta, we gotta research this. It's too important. I'm sure some of you cat, some of you doctors out there, veterinarians, probably know about this. Cat litter, toxoplasmosis. That's what it is. What is toxoplasmosis, you ask? Um, it is. So, let's see. 
It's a disease that results from infection with Toxoplasmosa gondii parasite. It's treatable by medical professionals, spreads easily, requires medical diagnosis. Um, whoops, I don't want shopping, I want symptoms. Symptoms, muscle pain, fever, headache, all last, can last for weeks. Pain areas in the muscles, whole body fatigue or fever. But um, let's see, I want, I want the... I need the wiki. I know you're not supposed to use Wikipedia, but... Actually, I don't know anyone who said that. But it seems like something a smart person would say. Don't use Wikipedia. I think it, it can be useful sometimes, so... Toxoplasmosis. I just want to see, like... It causes people to become rageful, I think. Cause... Uh, diagnosis, mm, symptoms, uh, human, okay, this is a good pod, I'm just like s- searching for, um, very good, enough of this, society, crazy cat lady, that's right, now we found something good, I feel like we're just like, we were just walking on the beach with one of those metal detectors, just looking for like gold coins, and we just finally found one. We finally found a golden nugget of information. Here it is. Crazy cat lady syndrome. Crazy cat lady syndrome. What is that? It's a term coined by news organizations to describe scientific findings that link to um, toxoplasmosis. Um... So although researchers found that cat ownership does not strongly increase the risk of toxoplasmosis infection in pregnant women, the suspected correlation between cat ownership in childhood and later development of schizophrenia suggests that further studies are needed to determine a risk factor for children. The term crazy cat lady syndrome draws on both stereotype and popular popular cultural reference. It was originated as instances of the aforementioned afflictions were noted among the populace. Cat lady is a cultural stereotype of a woman, often a spinster. What's a spinster? <laughs> it's a unmarried woman. Okay. Synonymous with the, um, but the more pejorative term is old maid. That sounds like 1920s jargon. Uh, a spinster <laughs> who is compulsively hoards and dotes upon cats, just like the crazy cat lady in The Simpsons. Um, Jaroslav Flager, biologist, is a proponent of the theory that toxoplasmosis affects human behavior. Jaroslav Flager. Flager. Okay, very good. So that's, um, there's your crazy cat lady discussion. Speaking of cats, here's Orangey the cat, the only feline double winner of the Patsy Award. The Patsy Award, which is the Animal Kingdom's equivalent of the Oscar. What? How did I not know about this till the three-hour marker of this podcast? I didn't learn about the Patsy Award till now. Now, now I gotta figure out what the Patsy Award is. Oh my gosh. I wonder if they have like a Razzies for animals. 
What would that be? What would that be called? Um, the Patsy Award. The Razzie Award for animals would be called the Dog Doo Doo. And the Dog Doo Doo Awards. There we go. Um, Pooper Scoopers. There we, that's a good name. The Pooper Scooper Awards. <laughs> for the Razzies. I like it. Your animal Pooper Scooper nominees. Uh, so... Anywho, Patsy Awards. The letters stand for um, Picture Animal Top Star of the Year or Performing Animal Television Star of the Year. Um, the very first recipient was Francis the Talking Mule. We talked about Francis. We talked about Francis the, uh, yep, yep, 1951. In a ceremony hosted by Ronald Reagan at Hollywood's Carthay Circle Theater. Wow. Why don't they still do these? Do they still do the Patsy Awards? I have to I have to find out. Um, let's see. Patsy Award 2019, I guess we'll just search. They do the Puppy Bowl. The Puppy Bowl's a thing. Looks like they don't even do them anymore. Hmm. I'm sure that like PETA probably put an end to it. <laughs> but what about the puppy bowl though? Let's see. Puppy bowl. Yep. It's a TV show on the animal planet, of course. Uh the puppy bowl. Puppy bowl. It's on it's always on right when the Super Bowl's on. Let's see. Mimics the Super Bowl using puppies. The show consists of footage of a batch of puppies at play inside a model stadium with commentary on their actions. The first puppy bowl was shown February 6, 2005, opposite of the Super Bowl. What? Oh, no way. They show it during the Super Bowl? Oh, my God. I did not remember that part. I thought it was always on just after the game. But they show it during the game. It's on for... It used to be from 2005 to 2008. It's running time was three hours. But then they bumped it down to two hours in 2008. Oh my goodness. And can you win the Puppy Bowl? Okay. Let's see. In the Puppy Bowl, number one. Max, a Jack Russell Terrier, was the most valuable puppy. The MVP. Um, wow. In their third year, they had 7.5 million viewers. I think that, that was their most popular year. It seems pretty good. Um, Jacques. Monseigneur Jacques, a French poodle, was the MVP. Most valuable puppy in, in the second one. Monseigneur Jacques. Okay. I've come I've come to America to win the puppy bowl. <laughs> I've come to America to crush all these little puppies. The adorable puppies. <laughs> oh my gosh, having fun. Having fun. Having fun doing it. Let's see, what do we got here? Um what did I write about what did I write about here? What did I write about here? 
did I write about? <laughs> Ooh, my ultimate sandwich. A pretzel bun bread. This is in the 300 writing prompts book. Pretzel bun bread. I love a good pretzel bun. Um, meatballs. Meatballs. Bacon. Pickles. Mustard. Brown. Or beer battered. Ooh, I was feeling fancy this day. Tapatio hot sauce. Roast beef. Red peppers. Lettuce. And pineapple slices. Ooh. That sounds real nice. That sounds delicious. Holy cow. Um, let's see. Is there anything? Anything else here? Alright. I'm going to put away my 300 writing prompts book. I'm going to drop my pencil on the ground and pick it up. Oh, it's actually my green Bic. What is this? A bright liner? Bright liner is called. It's not one of the... Uh, Sharpie accent highlighters that I've been using. Alright. Before we get back to Orangey the cat, I can't since I can't get enough of it, let's just keep doing it. Let's just go back to it. Let's go back to it one more time. Just one more time, I promise. It's once again, it's Night Hoops by Carl Duker. We're going back to the well. We're going back to the basketball well one more time. Here we go. Chapter one of part two. I'd always been a decent student, B's mostly, with a few A's sprinkled in, like three-point baskets in the game, but I didn't do so well my first few months at Bothell High. I tried to pay attention, only my mind would drift in and out. I was good at writing down the homework assignments at the end of classes, but when I got home, I'd shoot hoops until dinner, and then I'd shoot some more after dinner. Eventually, Mom would call me in and tell me to get busy on my homework. I'd open a book and start but then I'd hear her on the phone with her lawyer or her sister or her nursing supervisor talking about IRA accounts or how my dad had treated her or the possibility of getting more hours at work. And on the nights she wasn't on the phone, I'd find myself listening to the traffic on the streets. Every truck would sound like my dad's truck coming back home, only they all drove by, every single one of them, as the minutes tick ticked away. Finally, I'd look up at the clock and it would be 10 too late to get started, so I'd shove my books into my backpack and head off to school the next morning with nothing done. It was crazy. Basketball trials were coming up, and my chances of making the varsity were good, so I should have been working harder than ever. A million times I told myself that starting now I'd get to work, but when the weekly grade reports were posted, the name Nick Abbott was at the bottom right down there with Trent Dawson. That put me in pretty sad company. Not that Trent was stupid, but every once in a while he'd shock everyone by raising his hand and saying something decent, but most of the time he did nothing and said nothing. The only class he cared about was P.E., since he never played on school or rec league teams. Jim was the only place he could show his stuff. He treated every run-of-the-mill gym game as if it were some national championship. That's why what I did was so idiotic. We were playing touch football. I was on defense free safety. Their quarterback hit Trent with a little checkoff pass in the right flat. Trent cut back, raced past a couple of guys, and suddenly he was running in the clear down the sideline. The guy is fast, the only one in the class who can keep up with me, so it looked like a cinched touchdown. But I had an angle on him, and I had energy to burn, so I chased him down. I caught him about 10 yards from the end zone. Instead of taking him lightly, I gave him a hard push. 
The instant I did, I wished I hadn't. Trent was running so fast that my push caused him to lose his balance. He ran flat-footed, his strides too long, for about ten yards. Then he fell, rolling head over heels into the drainage ditch between the field and the sidewalk. There's muddy water and green muck in there, and when Trent climbed out of the ditch, slop was oozing off of him. Everybody started laughing. Everybody but Trent and me. He stood stock still for a moment, his mouth tight. Then he charged me, fists flying. I covered up, but he hit me a couple of times in the stomach and once on the side of the head before the teacher, Mr. Shelley, could get him off me. Even with Shelley pulling him away, Trent kept swinging. I'm going to get you, Abbott, he raged. I'm going to get you. Shelley spun him around. You're not going to get anybody, Dawson, unless you have a burning desire to spend a month of Saturdays pulling weeds around here. You understand? Trent glowered at him and then at me, his eyes glittering. I'd never seen him like that, but there were stories floating around, stories about what his brother Zach had done to Ross Paulson and Mike Anderson, and how the police had wanted to press criminal charges, especially over Ross, but how Ross's parents were afraid to. If Zach could go crazy, then so could Trent. I didn't want him to come coming after me. I stuck my hand out. I'm sorry. There, Mr. Shelley said, looking at Trent. He's apologized. Shake his hand and forget it. Trent's hand flashed out and slapped mine away. The bell rang and he stormed off the field. After Mr. Shelley watched him go, he turned to me. Anything happens, anything at all, you tell me. I didn't see Trent again until last period, geometry with Miss, Mrs. Glandon. I'd hoped he'd forgotten about what had happened, but the second my eye caught his, I knew he hadn't. When geometry ended, I gathered my books and headed for the door. I wanted to get out of school on time to walk home with the first wave of kids, but as soon as I reached the door, I heard Mrs. Glandon's voice. Nick Abbott, I want you to stay for a minute. She waited until the room was empty, and then she lit into me. You're failing, Nick, and you don't have much time before the midterm report goes home. I had your brother, so I know your mom and dad. I know they won't be happy about these grades. It's time to get on the ball. Yes, Mrs. Glandon, I said, but she wouldn't let me go until I'd written down all my missing assignments and promised to complete them within a week. When I finally escaped her room, the buses had left and the only kids remaining on campus were involved with some activity or other. As I stepped out on the 88th, I could feel the threat all around me, feel, feel in the silence of the street and the dampness of the air. At the coal sack before my block, before my own block, I saw him and Zach. The two of them were leaning against the mailbox, staring across the street, acting as if they didn't notice me. My heart started pounding, and a lump came to my throat. I wanted to turn and run away, the way zebras run away from lions on those TV shows on PBS. But where? If, and if I did run, what good would it do? I continued walking, trying hard not to show any fear. When I was about ten feet away, they turned toward me. I nodded as if we were all friends. They nodded back. I walked steadily forward, came even with them, and then passed them. A step, another step. They weren't after me. They just happened to be standing there. I'd imagined the whole thing. I was about to exhale when I heard their footsteps. They were on me before I could turn myself around, fully around. I toppled over, grabbing at them as they pushed me off the sidewalk and down into the drainage ditch. Within seconds, we were all in the muck. Only this time, I was at the bottom. Trent or Zach or both of them together were pushing my head down under the water. 
before I could breathe, my nose and mouth were filled with slime. Um, I fought my way up, gulped air, and then my head was pushed down under. I tried twisting and turning, but they were too strong for me. They kept pushing me down, down, down. I fought, I kicked, I slammed my fists into the mud and water. It was no use. I was drowning. They were killing me. My eyes rolled inward in a last wave of something close to pleasure filled me. Then, just before I lost consciousness entirely, the hands released me. I felt my head slowly rise out of the water. I was able to breathe air, pure delicious air, and it tasted, tasted better than anything I'd ever tasted in my entire life. I rolled out of the ditch and lay on my side, sucking it in by the gallon. I heard voices, but I couldn't follow what was being said. Every bit of me concentrated on breathing. Finally, I felt a hand under my armpits pulling me to my feet. I stood shaking in the legs, only half clear in my mind. Luke Jackson was helping me up. I knew him a little from P.E. and from seeing him around the in the summer. He lived in the Highlands. Okay, this is me for a second. That's so funny. I talked about the Highlands uh, neighborhood. It's right across the street from Kane Park. This is a real neighborhood. Um, so some of the stuff that Mr. Duker is talking about based on reality here. Um, the Highlands is where one of my best buds growing up, Brian McAfee, uh, lived in as well as one of my old roommates here at WSU, Dylan Hanley. And um, he was also one of my buddies growing up. And um, yeah, Nom. Nom, uh, he's a buddy from a year younger than me. Lots of people live in the Highlands, though. Lots of, uh, lots of people my age. My age. So <laughs> it was a big, it was like one of those neighborhoods, you know, that just has a bunch of friends. Living in it, people are always playing sports outside, like playing like wiffle ball in the street, playing basketball in the driveway, playing football in the street, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, so the Highlands, the fanciest housing development in the area. A black guy, maybe 6'4 or 6'5, with a shaved head and one gold earring, new to the neighborhood. We'd been on the same team in the gym a couple of times, though we'd never really talked. You okay? He asked. I nodded. Okay, wait, this is me again. <laughs> One more brief intermission. Um, speaking of the Highlands, that just reminds me of during Halloween in the Highlands, there would always be this person. It must have been someone's dad or maybe just some crazy random guy, but he would run around with like a scream mask, basically, or like a Jason hockey mask, you know? And a chainsaw <laughs> it must have I mean he must have taken the blade off it obviously but that thing is still super scary when there's just some crazy guy with a hockey mask running around at you and you're just a kid so you don't really know what's real and what's not and I can't believe I mean I think nowadays that would never fly like that kind of thing that person would go to jail or something like someone would definitely report them or they would put a video of it on like Snapchat or Instagram or something and then the police would be on their Instagram page and they would see it cuz or the police always use Facebook that's their go to so maybe if it got posted on Facebook cuz whenever like on dumb people town they're always talking about the police department using a Facebook uh their Facebook page to post stuff and try to catch criminals 
<laughs> That's so funny. I just like the idea of like cops like not wanting to go. Like I don't really want to go out and try to catch him in person. So let's just let's see if we can look at his photos. Let's see if one of his friends tagged him <laughs> at the location on Facebook. Maybe we can scrounge up some clues there. It's like Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I was trying to think of a Sherlock Holmes, Mark Zuckerberg pun real quick, but it didn't work out too well, so that's okay. Sherlock Holmes point oh. <laughs> SherlockHolmes.com. Alrighty, let's see. Here we go. Where were we here? Um, He looked up the street toward where Trent and Zach were walking rapidly away. Those guys got a little carried away, I'd say. He paused. He paused. You make it home? Yeah, I said, my voice sounding strange. I can make it home. He nodded. All right, then. See you tomorrow. He looked down at my muddy pants and shoes. Damn, they got my clothes all dirty. Then he crossed 104th, 104th Street. That's so funny. That's the street right next to my house is 104th Street. So, man, it's so weird reading this book set, set right in my neighborhood where I grew up. It's awesome. All right, sorry. Then he crossed 104th and headed up his own block. I never even thanked him. When I opened the door, front door that afternoon, Scott was on the sofa with his arms wrapped around Katya Ushakov. Their faces both flushed red when they heard me come in, and they jumped apart. But once Katya got a good look at me, she sprang to her feet. What happened, Nick? Are you all right? She walked me straight to the bathroom, Scott trailing behind. She ran the bath and started peeling my clothes off. I was so dazed I didn't object. When I was down to my underwear, she scooped up my jeans and sweatshirt. Where's your washing machine? She asked Scott. I'll show you, he answered. Once they were gone, I finished undressing and slid into the tub. I closed my eyes, lay back, and soaked. If I could have, I would have opened my skin and let it warm my insides. Twice I fell asleep, but both times I woke with a start, shaking and gulping for air. Um, gulping air, as if I were somehow back in that ditch, my head underwater. As the water cooled, I drained some off and added more hot. I did that until I used every drop. Then I wrapped myself in a towel and went to my room. I would have liked to have stretched out on my bed and gone to sleep, but I knew Katya and Scott were waiting for an explanation, so I forced myself to go down, go to the front room. She was sitting in the big chair by the window. He had his feet up on the coffee table. I thought about telling them that I slipped and fallen headfirst into a ditch, but once I saw Katya's face, I couldn't lie, so I told them what happened. Anyway, it's over with now, I said. Katya's eyes widened. What do you mean, it's over with? You've got to call the police. They could have killed you. Calling the police would make it worse. How, she demanded. How could it make it worse? Nothing would happen to them, Katya. And then they'd beat me up again. Her face reddened in anger. So you're going to let them get away with it? They try to kill you and you do nothing? Scott came to my defense. Nick's right, Katya. The Dawsons are trouble. You don't want them after you. She wheeled on him. And what about the next boy? What if they actually kill the next boy? Katya, Scott said, trying to soothe her. Nobody is going to get killed. Katya pointed her finger at me. He almost got killed. Didn't you hear him? Your own brother. What if this, what if this Luke hadn't been there? What then? She stared at Scott, stared at him the way a scientist looks at some strange bacteria under a microscope. Then, before Scott answered, she grabbed her clarinet case and stormed out of our house. Scott started towards the door, stopped, then turned on me. 
Thanks a lot, Nick. What did I do? I asked, but he just walked past me and went downstairs. Dad phoned that night. I was upstairs reading when Mom called up to me. Hey, Nick, he said when I took the receiver from her. How are you, son? Hearing his voice made me feel better. I still wasn't used to his being gone, and whenever he didn't call for a while, I started worrying. I knew guys who hadn't seen their dad in years. He asked how I was doing in school and what my teachers were like. Look, he said at last, the Sonics have an inter-squad game last, um, on Friday night. I've got courtside seats. What do you say? Do you want to go? Bring back the Sonics, baby. Come on, NBA. <laughs> um, do you want to go? Yeah, I said instantly. It sounds ter- terrific. Great, he answered. I could feel the relief in his voice. Listen, I already talked to your brother, and he's busy, so I've got an extra ticket. If you've got a buddy you'd like to bring along, go ahead and ask him. He paused. Or her. You got a girl you'd like to bring along? I felt my f- face go uh, go red. Uh, no, Dad. He laughed. All right. Well, put your mom on now. We've got to work out the details. After I handed the receiver to Mom, I went downstairs to a den where Scott was watching a Simpsons rerun on the tube. Man, I love it. <laughs> this book is just right down my right down my lane. We got the Simpsons. We got Bothell. We got the Sonics. All right. Um, Simpsons rerun on the tube. What about the Quickie Mart? We laughed a lot the first time we'd seen it, but that evening, while we heard the murmur of Mom's voice on the phone upstairs, neither of us laughed once. On the telephone, Dad's voice had been off somehow, cheerful on top but sad underneath. That's how I felt too. I thought that what I wanted more than anything was for Dad to look at me, look hard and long at what I could do, not just glance at me for a second or two before turning back to Scott. I had a feeling that was going to happen now. I was going to get exactly what I'd always wanted. But I would have given that up if I could have gotten... If I could have had him living at home again, the way he used to, only without the fighting, I'd have gone back to being the second son for that. Mm, man, such good. Put my bookmark in here. Page 47, chapter 2, part 2. We'll leave it there. Night Hoops, Carl Duker. God, I love that book. The more I read it, the more it brings back the good memories of Bothell basketball, baby. Man. I love it. All right. Let's talk about Orangey. And then let's wrap this baby. Let's wrap this burrito. Um, Orangey the Cat. 17 acting credits. 1951, Rhubarb. Um, plays Rhubarb. 1953 to 55, a TV show. Our Miss Brooks plays Minerva the Cat. Never heard that name for a cat. Minerva? Minnie? Is that what Minnie Driver's name is? Minerva Driver? That would totally change everything. Changed everything. (laughs) Minerva Driver. Uh, 1950. That sounds like a Tiger Woods golf club. Like a special Tiger Woods golf club from Nike. This is the Minerva driver. You can drive it 400 yards against the wind. Um, let's see. This Island Earth is 1955. Uh, Neutron, the cat. 1957, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Orangey plays Butch, the cat. That kind of reminds me of that new 
Matt Damon movie. What's, what's that one called? The one with like Kristen Wiig, where they shrink. Um, let's see, The Incredible Shrinking Man. 81 minutes, horror sci-fi. When Scott Carey begins to shrink because of exposure to a combination of radiation and insecticide, metal, medical science is powerless to help him. Okay. Huh. <laughs> so you're saying that in 1957, they couldn't stop a shrinking person. Maybe in 2019, they could stop it. Maybe medical science has stepped up their game when it comes to shrinking. What about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, though? Hmm? Hmm? What about... <laughs> what about Flubber? <laughs> I don't know if people get shrunk in that one, but it's just a classic movie. About the same time as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 1956 to 57. Alfred Hitchcock presents Stanley slash Cat for two episodes. Uh, 1958. Shirley Temple's storybook plays the cat. One episode. 1959, The Diary of Anne Frank plays Mushi. 1960, Visit to a Small Planet plays Clementine. Both uncredited, same with Mushi. Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961. Wow, some big movies. Plays Cat as Cat. So a cat whose name is Cat. She said, breakfast at Tiffany's. How's that song go? And I said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? She said, I think that I liked it. <laughs> that, there's that one song, the breakfast at Tiffany's song. What about breakfast at Tiffany's? No, I said, I think both liked it. I think it goes like that. Uh, 115 minutes, comedy, drama, romance, a rom-com drama. A young New York socialite becomes interested in a young man who has moved into her apartment building, but her past threatens to get in the way. She said, what about breakfast at Tiffany's? And I said, I think we both liked it. <laughs> uh, 1962, The Dick Van Dyke Show. She plays Mr. Henderson. Henderson! Henderson! The misadventures of a TV writer both at work and at home. Wow. That show sounds like it's ahead of his time. Just the fact that it was about a TV writer, both their home life and their work life. What? So is is this like a sitcom? Like I've heard a lot about the Dick Van Dyke show, but... Hmm... That's so interesting. I guess it is. I guess it is a sitcom. <laughs> it's a classic, apparently. Um, I guess I have to watch it. Guizhou, 1962. 1963, speaking of classics, the Beverly Hillbillies. He plays Rusty, Rusty Cat. 1963, the Comedy of Terrors. Cleopatra. 1963-64, My Favorite Martian. Pretty sure we just mentioned this one a couple episodes ago. Uh, My Favorite Martian, Herbie, Max the Cat, Cat on Footpath. 1965, Village of the Giants, plays Giant Cat. Mission Impossible was a TV series from 1967. 
plays Rusty. Is that what the movie Mission Impossible is based on? I did not know. It's based on a TV show. An elite covert operations unit carries out highly sensitive missions subject to official denial in the event of failure, death, or capture. So yeah, sounds like Tom Cruise to me. Uh, 1967 to 68. Here's your final credit for Orangey the Cat. Uh, plays Cat for two episodes and Batman. The TV show Batman. Who started in this one? Oh, it's Adam West. Okay. So when the family guy makes fun of him. Um, very good. Let's, uh, let's rank Orangey the Cat's movies. Top three, bottom three. Do some plugs. Call the day. Um, let's see. Top three. I will go Visit to a Small Planet, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and Village of the Giants. And then bottom three, let's go Gijo. Um, we'll go The Incredible Shrinking Man and The Island Earth. This Island Earth. We're the bottom three there. Very good. <laughs> oh my God. Breakfast at Tiffany's and I said, I think we both liked it. Um, We did it. We did it. Yes, yes, yes. I am still holding it down here in my apartment on the second floor of Coffee House. Apartments across the street from Washington State University in beautiful Pullman, Washington. It's barely snowing outside now. Uh, Snowing lately. Just a dusting. Nothing on the sidewalks, though. It's looking good out there. Looking clear. I'm in my newly perfected newly improved apartment that just got the shower fixed during this podcast so that's a win right there looking forward to that that's gonna be nice um i'm an author um find my books on amazon kindle barnes and noble sponge cake a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge and the cover of what's in the fridge is actually the same starfish that you're looking at right now so there you go. Um, go to my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com. Check out my website, christtheauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter, christtheauthor8, and Instagram, chrisarneson8. Thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone and everyone. I'm having uh, so much fun doing it, and I'm hoping you guys are having half as much fun listening and uh, joining me for this crazy, crazy, wild roller coaster ride that is hosting a podcast. Um, I love it. I'm loving doing it. It's been so much fun. It brings a big smile to my face, and I hope it, I hope it does for you guys too. Um, thank you so much for telling people about it. Building the community of starfishes. We're doing it big over here at a Stars Born HQ. Um, I love it. Thank you for also rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. That's awesome. Um, awesome. Let's, uh, what do you say? What do you say we just wrap this baby without further ado? I got my big pile of laundry sitting over here on my blow-up air mattress. I got a pile of laundry waiting to be folded, um, just cleaned. 
I also got some laundry waiting for me in the dryer. Probably needs... Our dryer is pretty weak, though. Um, not very not very powerful. So I probably need to run that for like 20 more minutes. So that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to fold some laundry, listen to some other podcasts. I'm telling you guys about... Well, you're listening to me, and I'm going to go listen to another podcast. <laughs> and um, I love it. Thank you, thank you. Let's uh, let's wrap it. Here we go. Closing time. Time for you to go home to the places where you belong. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home, take me home, home. Closing time, time for you to go home to the places where you belong. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another exciting episode of A Star is Born. This has been episode 23, Animal Actors. I've been your host, Chris Arneson. Um, and I hope y'all have a great day. Have a great night. Um, keep having fun doing what you do. And I love ya.